Hey guys, it's me, Lance. And while I have you here listening to our show, I wanted to take a second and reach out to all the people out there that are thinking about starting their own show, starting their own podcast. When we started this thing back in February of 2019, we were really trying to figure out which platform we needed to go with. Well, in about 30 seconds after searching, we've stumbled upon Anchor. And since February of 2019, we have not looked back because, guys, it's pretty simple. With the quality that they provide, the accessibility that the platform provides, along with the fact that it's absolutely free, while you could potentially be making money doing it, it was pretty easy for us. And I think it'd be easy for you as well. So do me a favor. If you're thinking about starting your own show, you're thinking about starting your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I promise you guys, you won't regret it. Yes, this is Shaggy Shane, and I was a Kansas City Chiefs season ticket holder from 1991 through 2011. Here's my take on Derek Thomas. Derek Thomas, the fourth overall selection out of Alabama in the 1989 draft. To discuss Derek Thomas, you have to go back and look at where the Kansas City Chiefs stood moments before Derek Thomas was selected in the 1989 draft. And by doing that, you have to go back to the end of the 1988 Kansas City Chiefs NFL football season. You have to remember in my lifetime, the Kansas City Chiefs before 1989 were about as irrelevant as the Kansas City Kings in the NBA franchise who left Kansas City when I was 15 in 1985. The Kansas City Chiefs could not sell out Arrowhead Stadium for any game other than the Raiders when the Raiders came to town. The Kansas City Chiefs averaged somewhere between 30 and 40,000 fans at best a game leading up to the 1989 season. The Chiefs were terrible. They weren't fun to watch. They were the Kansas City Royals' little brother because the Kansas City Royals owned this town. And there was even thought of thinking, wow, the Kansas City Chiefs could leave Kansas City just like the Kings did three years prior. At the end of the 1988 Kansas City Chiefs football season, right near the end of the season in December of 1988, the Kansas City Chiefs let President Jack Stedman and General Manager Jim Schaff know that they were going to be relieved of their duties. The Chiefs chose one man in December of 1988 to take over as president and general manager. That is Carl Peterson. Carl Peterson came to Kansas City and the Chiefs finished their 1988 season at 4-11-1. And, and the Kansas City Chiefs, with a well-known general manager who was coming to town, was going to get a great head coach. He mentioned it from jump when Frank Gans was fired after the 1988 football season. There was some talk the Kansas City Chiefs were going to talk Dick Vermeil out of retirement. But then... The Cleveland Browns did the unexpected. You need to follow me a second here, ladies and gentlemen. With the Chiefs struggling and no no fun football to watch, you latch on to the underdog. You latch on to the underdog teams around the league. And that underdog team was the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns had a young quarterback in 1985 and a new and a head coach who was in his second year. In 1985, the Cleveland Browns Went to the divisional round in Miami. Lost a hard-fought game to Dan Marino. In 1986, the Cleveland Browns had home field advantage 
lost the AFC Championship game to the hated Denver Broncos when John Elway marched his Denver Broncos offense 98 yards down the field, send the game into overtime and eventually win, breaking the hearts of not only the Cleveland Browns fans, but all the fans who cheered the underdog. In 1987, the AFC Championship game was at Denver between the Cleveland Browns and Denver Broncos. Cleveland Browns were marching in for a game-winning touchdown with two minutes left in the game. Ernest Biner fumbled. As a football fan you and an underdog fan, you weeped for Marty Schottenheimer because he was a damn good coach, couldn't get his team over the hurdle. In 1988, the Cleveland Browns went to the wild card with their third-string quarterback, Don Strock, 43-year-old veteran quarterback that they had to call out of retirement to take over for him because Bernie Kosar and Mike Pagel, their top two quarterbacks, got hurt, and their third-string quarterback wasn't nothing to brag about. Well, Art Modell fired Marty Schottenheimer at the end of the 1988 season. It shocked the fan. It shocked NFL fans worldwide. So at the same time, it was a perfect storm for Carl Peterson. Here's this new general manager who needs a head coach. So while we were hearing rumors of Dick Vermeil being called out of retirement, I think there was a there was definitely a yearning for the Kansas City Chiefs to at least take a flyer on. New, Marty Schottenheimer. He was he turned Cleveland around. They were at the doorstep of a Super Bowl. We wanted Marty. And lo and behold, Carl Peterson, the new general manager, picks Marty Schottenheimer. And the Chiefs fan base of what 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 was or what is or what was to become said had a party. We said, kick ass. We got Marty Schottenheimer. Hell yes. Marty Schottenheimer's opening press conference in January of 1989 said our goal for the Kansas City Chiefs in the 1989 football season is to be champions of the National Football League. That comment alone sent goosebumps throughout the Kansas City area. And you knew, you knew that, we, that he was going to be the coach to turn this franchise around. There was excitement in the air. There was a focus in the air because the Kansas City Chiefs had none. Marty Schottenheimer that offseason before the draft pick up, picked up a veteran free agent Ron Jaworski as well as veteran center Mike Webster. Both players basically passed their prime, but he wanted to instill the leadership that needed to be brought to Kansas City in 1989. Leading up to the draft 31 years ago this month, we knew that Troy Aikman was going to go number one to the Dallas Cowboys. Excuse me. And we knew that Tony Mandritz, offensive tackle, was going to go number two to the Packers. Then you had the Lions and the Chiefs and the Atlanta Falcons. We knew the Kansas City Chiefs were going to get either Derek Thomas, Barry Sanders, or Deion Sanders. So there was an excitement. We knew that the Chiefs were going to get somebody good. And when the Chiefs picked Derek Thomas out of Alabama, there was definitely even more an excitement because you knew his speed. You knew knew what Marty Schottenheimer could do with him defensively. You knew, coupled with Neil Smith, who was the number two overall pick the year before out of Nebraska, you knew that the Kansas City Chiefs 
we're on the precipice of something special. And when the 1989 season started, it was fun. Derek Thomas had 10 sacks his rookie season, setting a tone, being the speed rush off the air, off the edge. He definitely was the man. And what he did in 1990 with 20 sacks, seven sacks in one game was unheard of. He was special. Derek Thomas indeed was special. He re-energized the fan base. A lot of people are re-energized now because of Patrick Mahomes. And, I mean, let's face it, what's not to be, what's not to be energized about Patrick Mahomes? But Derek Thomas, he was Kansas City because of Marty Schottenheimer drafting him and turning around the culture. The whole culture changed when Marty Schottenheimer came to Kansas City and picked up Derek Thomas. As for my favorite Derek Thomas moment, I would say just being on the field because you knew something special was going to happen. But see, his favorite game, it would have to be the seven-sack game. It just sucked we lost. That's basically the story of the Chiefs, man. Get seven sacks in a game and lose. That was basically the story of Marty Schottheimer, which sucked. You knew that they were going to be really good and they were going to be in all these games, but they didn't have the offense to uh, win some most of the games when they needed them most, especially in the playoffs. Derek Thomas' biggest playoff moment was against the Houston Oilers when the Kansas City Chiefs came back and got the lead. So my favorite playoff moment for Derek Thomas is when the Kansas City Chiefs won the divisional round over uh, Houston. When the Chiefs got the lead in the fourth quarter, 21-20. to Derek Thomas had a big sack at Warren Moon, forcing a fumble. Chiefs recovered the fumble, and three plays later, Joe Montana hit Willie Davis in the corner of the end zone, putting Kansas City Chiefs up 28-20. to At that time, you remember, that was a two-score game because the Oilers couldn't go down and uh, get a touchdown and a two-point conversion because that was the year before the two-point conversion. So when the Chiefs went up by eight with about three and a half, four minutes left, you felt the game was won because you knew the Oilers were going to have to come down the field and score twice. Because that was, like I said, just before the two-minute, two-point conversion was put into effect the, the next, the following year. So that sack and fumble <clears throat> with the Chiefs getting a touchdown, put the Chiefs up two scores with three minutes left in the divisional round, was my favorite uh, Derek Thomas moment. But to answer the question specifically, what Derek Thomas meant to me, you have to go back to what Marty Schottenheimer meant to Kansas City, because Marty Schottenheimer's first pick was Derek Thomas. Marty Schottenheimer and Derek Thomas are like that, are like that. So when you talk Marty Schottenheimer, you talk Derek Thomas. When you talk Derek Thomas, you talk Marty Schottenheimer, the man who single-handedly turned around the Kansas City Chiefs kingdom. It's important that the generation below, uh, you know, you guys in your 20s and 30s know that and understand that and learn that because I can't stress enough how the Kansas City Chiefs in the 1980s, we're just as irrelevant as the Kansas City Kings. That stadium was empty if you weren't playing the Raiders. That stadium was empty. They lacked leadership. Derek Thomas and Marty Schottenheimer brought the winning culture, the leadership, along with Neil Smith, who, like I said, was the second overall pick the year before out of Nebraska. The culture changed. 
DT was the man of the 90s. He was the man of the 90s, and that is my favorite. All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Woodwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance this is the Spoken Podcast. I am your host, Lance Twidwell. Here inside, once again, the Twidwell Studios with my guy, Trevor Twidwell. What's good? Uh, our guy, Eddie, is out once again. Uh, I hope you guys have not gotten used to that because the moment you get used to it, Eddie will be returning. So I'm just letting you know right now, he's just waiting for you guys to really, really miss him in order for him to make his inevitable return. But he's doing good, I promise you guys. But no, no, no yo-yo-yos tonight. Nope. That's just going to be something that's going to have to wait for another week. But we're here, guys. Uh, episode 58, like I said, very excited to be here. Thank you all for have listened to this point. If it's your first time here, I'm so sorry for what's about to happen. Um, but <laughs> we have a lot of fun here, and that's how we like to keep it, especially in shitty times like this. Uh, we can keep talking about it, but you guys are, by now, unless you've been living under a proverbial rock, uh, you uh, know exactly what's been happening in our society, in our world, quite frankly. And that's why we're here to continue to talk about sports, the little amount of sports that we do have to <laughs> talk about tonight. And um, But again, welcome in, guys, and we're very much excited to have you here tonight with us. Uh, but let us begin for a minute. Uh, one of the most important times in Kansas City sports history took place in 2014 when the Royals made a miraculous run to the World Series for the first time in nearly 30 years. The city was absolutely on fire. Um, it was the opposite of the coronavirus, if you will, in regards to how awesome it was. But it was just like the coronavirus and the fact that you couldn't go anywhere and do anything without someone in your ear talking about it. I mean, I know you remember that, Trevor. It was simply an, an incredible time to be alive in Kansas City. Does anyone remember why that miraculous run was even possible? How it even had the chance to begin? The wild card play-in game. The wild card play-in game that the major leagues mandated back in 2012, just a couple seasons before the 2014 Royals remade history. Of course, the Royals were one of the teams that benefited off the change, giving them a home game against the Oakland A's that ended in an extra innings walk-off sharp liner down the third baseline via Salvi. One of the greatest, most important moments in the history of this city. And none of it would have been possible had the MLB didn't make any changes whatsoever and added more teams to the playoffs. Endless possibilities could have taken place or not have taken place had that change never occurred. Maybe the Royals returning and winning it all in 2015 would have never taken place. Maybe we're still reminiscing and romanticizing 1985 if not. Maybe we're still right where we've been all along. The NFL came out this week and officially announced that after the 2020 season, they will in fact move from a 12-team playoff bracket to a 14-team playoff bracket. And many, many fans do not approve. It gives more bad teams a chance to make the playoffs, Lance. (laughs) 
Need I remind you all yet again that since 2003, 11 teams with 10 or more wins missed the playoffs, and only 8 teams with 8 wins or less made the playoffs, but 5 of them made it because they won their division. It wasn't because they were wildcard teams squeaking in. It was because of the faulty division rule that has still not changed. I just don't see the point of making changes, Lance. Need I remind you, the teams like, say, the 2014 Royals benefiting off of it? Yes, baseball and football are different sports. The MLB and the NFL are different leagues. But one thing they both need is both dynasties and parity, and both can coexist. In baseball, you've had the Yankees. In football, you've had the Patriots. But you've also had your 2014 Royals. You've also had your 2017 Eagles. We as fans bitch and complain about growing tired of seeing the same teams make the playoffs and the championship rounds. Yet when given the opportunity for more teams to win, we push back? Why? As I've stated back in previous episodes, even with the addition of two more playoff teams, the NFL is still only sending 44% of their teams to the playoffs. Whereas leagues like the NBA, they send 53% of their their league to the playoffs on an annual basis. This change gives us more football, more jobs in the league, more money for coaches, players, teams, the league, the TV networks, local and corporate businesses. We want more, but aren't willing to go and get the changes that gives us just that. We love a movie like Storyline Playout. We love a movie like Storyline Playout in front of our eyes, yet push back on the change necessary to make said script into reality. Look, I get it. Change is more times than not uncomfortable. I hate moving. I hate changing my routine. I'm guilty of this as a person. I am guilty of this. But just like any other logically sound adult knows, change is necessary in most areas of our lives. The MLB and NFL are different in their own regard. But like the MLB, the NFL is a business, a damn good business, a damn good successful business. And in order for them to maintain damn good business, they must take the steps and maintain measures to ensure a constant climb in ratings and revenue. By adding teams, you add markets. By adding markets, you add ratings. By adding ratings, you add money. And at the end of the day, it's business. And moves like this make all the sense in the world for all of us. And until until I hear something otherwise that discredits the stance, which I am very much open-minded enough to listen to, I will stand with the NFL in this and believe that this is a league that still knows what they're doing and will continue to elevate its brand and the product we all consume daily. And I will leave it there. And we're going to take a quick break. And like I told you guys earlier, we have a shit ton to talk about tonight. There's been a lot of moves in Kansas City over these last 24 hours, guys. It's been very exciting. I've been of the guy, I've been of the belief. Yeah, I've been of the belief that it was just going to be meat and potato stuff. And I've been wrong about Sammy Watkins. Very wrong. And I cannot wait to tackle that one. I was right. And we're definitely going to talk about that. Coming up next, guys, we are going to be talking about the lizard. He's staying here in Kansas City. We'll get back to that after this.
Commandeer is Kansas City's alternative apparel brand. They make unique Kansas City-themed clothing and accessories with a countercultural apparel. Find them online at CommandeerBrand.com or follow them at CommandeerBrand on Instagram or Facebook. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number two. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Twidwell Studios with my guy, Trevor Twidwell. That's good. Um, we are, I apologize again if you guys are hearing the name Twidwell a lot. It's not, uh, what do they call that, uh, item placing, or like what Michael Bay does in his movies, where they yeah. call that product placement. We're not yeah. doing that here. We're not trying to gloat our name here. That's just how it's we going are right now. We the, are. Adju- the adjustment you know, process is in, in flux right now, guys, so bear <laughs> with us. But um, by the way, did you uh, did you see the picture of Lamar Jackson, Sm- Smokey John Brown, and uh, yes. uh, Antonio Brown together? It's Yeah, yeah. That's just clout chasing for Antonio Brown, pretty much. It's all that is. I mean, the obvious lack of social distancing aside, I, I have two questions. Uh, Brothers in arms. How did AB escape his padded room? Yeah. And um, he's, I thought he was working who, on a new rap video. My, my other question was, who's throwing the ball to those receivers? Yeah, you know, Lamar's you know, one of the best receivers in football. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> just throwing that out there. You know. Yeah. Um, but as we left off in the first segment, guys, as you had heard this morning uh, via Therese Paler, who's one of the best in the business from Yahoo Sports, at about like 4 a.m. Yep. in the damn morning, uh, he reported that the Chiefs and wide receiver Sammy Watkins had agreed to a restructured deal, a one-year, $9 million guaranteed deal with incentives that can get him up to 16 total uh, in, in total for uh, yeah for Sammy's deal. And and. Look, man, it's official, and yep. and I, I woke up this morning very happy to hear that. Actually, our guy, Mr. Eddie, Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, was the first one that I had gotten notified of this morning when I woke up. And um, I really try to think about the negatives that could come from this, and I'm still sitting here yeah. as we're recording this, and I can't think of one. It The move created $5 million in cap space for the Chiefs to operate this offseason, which if you guys remembered, before, coming into today, the Chiefs had less than $200 to their name yeah. in cap space, which, yeah, exactly. I mean, we couldn't even pay, what, a third of the rent around yeah. here for that. Um, the deal includes a no-trade clause, and it allows the Chiefs to spread that money out, which is exactly what they needed, seeing they had less than, again, $200 million in cap space coming mm-hmm. into today. So basically, within a two-month stretch, Sammy Watkins created six feet of space with Richard Sherman in the Super Bowl <laughs> and $5 million in cap space for the Chiefs. Needless to say, Mr. Sammy Watkins, well done, my friend. Well done, my guy. Glad you're here, buddy. <laughs> I think this move benefits both sides, though, equally. Without a doubt. Giving that Sammy uh, giving Sammy the opportunity to essentially prove it to the Chiefs and the potential outside suitors for 2021 that he is a long-term answer at the wide receiver position. And for the Chiefs, it gives them, an albeit you know, an inconsistent weapon in the quote-unquote show-up for regular season games hmm. uh, department, but also known as in the consistency of show up for the playoff games department uh it gives the chiefs a, an opportunity to really look and see what sammy watkins is going to be on a prove it deal because if we know anything since he's been in kansas city he's been making money he hasn't really had a prove it year yet right. even last season knowing that he was not going to get that third year in that deal we knew that he felt safe in this offense and he was not going to really go anywhere or be traded last season mm-hmm. um this was good business to me uh, we talked about it in the first segment about the NFL and the MLB and how they have to conduct good business. The Chiefs conducted good business today with Sammy Watkins. Uh, from $21 million to $9 million, Andy Reid and Brett Veach did an incredible job with this. And I give them ultimate credit because I know that they're the ones that run this right. organization uh, from a football standpoint. And, and here's how I see Sammy Watkins. Here's what I think of this for the Chiefs. 
This deal shows me that Sammy absolutely wanted to stay put and continue building a legacy alongside Patrick Mahomes. This team is ascending. We know that. Sammy knows that. On the other side, though, the Chiefs are telling Sammy that they want him but need to produce at a high level if he intends on staying here after the 2020 season. But in the meantime, the Chiefs have put themselves in a position to run it back. Those are the words of our quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, this morning on Twitter. Run it back. Who got line? And even though the Chiefs have done very little, have only signed depth guys and restructured their second-best wide receiver, yet I couldn't be more excited about the 2020 season. Trevor, what are your thoughts on on waking up this morning to learn of the news that Sammy Watkins is going to be in Kansas City through at least 2020? Yeah, I mean, I love it because obviously I feel like I was right on the situation. I felt like, like we talked about even last week, how I feel like he's the type of guy that he feels comfortable here. He kind of feels like this is home. He's a family man. That was, I feel like that was always an important thing to him. And he's a just a, a, kind of a different cat. Um, so, I mean, for him to work out this deal, what you said, it, it feels like it's pretty much with the incentives based contract. It feels like a, a, a prove it or a contract year. Yeah. Um, so I'm just glad to keep his talent uh, strictly, even just for the postseason. Like the, you know, the incentives could come out to where he makes a lot of money. Uh, granted, we, we can get into which we think, which incentives he will actually meet. Uh, Cause there's a few that I don't think, I don't think he's going to meet most of them if I'm being completely honest. Um, but I do think that he could possibly meet a couple of them. And he should uh, barring health. Um, I'm excited to have him as, like I said, his talent. Um, and I think, we started to see as the year went on, especially in the playoffs, the the trust and the chemistry finally started to kind of get there. Because earlier in the season, even when he was healthy, uh, we saw a lot of missed routes or the, or miscommunications between him and Pat. Uh, we kind of saw that start to tighten up. And even that video with the, with the mic'd up, Pat even put himself on blast saying, I should have trust Sammy, but he didn't, you know, because he did break open, but he wasn't expecting him to. That's an issue for me either way, you know, whether that's Pat's fault enough to throw the ball and trust Sammy or the fact that he has the, even the thought that he can't trust Sammy on that route. So I think, you know, a whole other off season, um, bringing him back, you know, running it back with, with like, like you posted earlier on social media, talking about how the chiefs are bringing back the, the most um, productive wide receiver in postseason history for the chiefs. As weird as that sounds, yeah. you know, it's just short of his career has been with the chiefs. It's factual. Yeah. So um, needless to say, man, I'm, I'm just I'm I've always been a Sammy Watkins guy, even back in Buffalo. I've always loved him. Uh, I loved his talent coming out of, you know, out of college. Um, I think he's got elite skill set. I still think his best years are ahead um, I because he's obviously had an injury riddled uh, career. But I do. I love the talent. Always have. He's got great burst off. Just like we talked about with Kent. Can't even talk about, you know, who in free agency uh, can replace, you know, uh, who can body size and, and burst coming off the, the line of scrimmage. Who can we go pick up? You know, if we do let him walk or trade him or whatever, let him go. Um, who would replace that kind of production, that that prototypical type of receiver? There's no one out there, really, yeah. outside of maybe Stephon Diggs, but obviously he's not available. And he was going to cost more money, obviously. Um, so the, him coming back with the incentive-based contract uh, on the cheap, we were going to owe him $7 million regardless if he played it with us or not. Um, so he was on the books for us either way. Um uh, I'm glad to have him back, man. I'm glad to keep that chemistry and that camaraderie in the locker room alive. Uh, we got a couple other guys to take care of. Um, I would like to see us bring back, obviously, Bashad Breeland. But, yeah, Sammy Watkins, I mean, keeping this this offensive prowess alive uh, and, and keeping the camaraderie uh, you know, in that locker room together is big for me. So I'm super stoked, man. And, and uh, Sammy Watkins' last seven regular season games, yeah, he tallied up 17 receptions for 200 yards and zero touchdowns. Yeah. In Sammy Watkins' last five playoff games, 
He has 24 receptions for 464 yards and one touchdown. Like Trevor said, you know, he shows up in the biggest games. And for me, I think that Sammy is finally being paid what he's actually worth his value. Uh, This first contract, yes, it was definitely inflated. I I definitely think he was getting paid way above his actual value grade. Yes. I mean, his talent. For me, his talent is up there with some of the best receivers Absolutely. in all of football. Yeah. It's just the fact that when we factor in his his health issues, his inconsistent play, yeah. things of that nature, you have to bring him down a few pegs. And I think that was a part of the conversation and dialogue with the Chiefs. It, it, I do believe Sammy fully wanted to be here. Our guy Shaggy Shane had met him at a store out in uh, Independence. I believe it was a DIY. Don't don't kill me, Shane, if I'm yeah, wrong on that. But I believe he met him out there at a DIY. Doing, he was doing an, uh, an autograph signing. And and Shaggy did talk to him, and Shaggy's got one of those personalities where he can really get people to be, talk, talk authentically. He's the reason he signed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Shaggy. Uh, because of you, we have our guy. Uh, yep. Sam, uh, it should be Shaggy proof. Sammy. It's proof. Shaggy Sammy and Shaggy Shane. They should be a team. They should have their own podcast. Fuck us. But um, you know, he he did. He mentioned to to Clay and I in a, in a private conversation after he had met him that he really got a sense and a vibe that Sammy genuinely wanted to stay here in Kansas City, and that's yeah. how I've always felt that he wanted to be here. It was always, for me, a concern why I thought ultimately Sammy wasn't going to be here in Kansas City anymore is that there was going to be somebody else that was going to pay him something he just could not resist right. and something he couldn't turn down. And I would totally get it. It's business. We keep talking about that tonight. Yeah. you got to go out there and make your money. But Sammy is more concerned at this time of his career of building legacies because, mm. let's be honest, guys, the Chiefs are an ascending team. Yeah. It isn't; they're not one of those run-off, one-off teams where okay, they won a World Series, or won a Super Bowl with an aging quarterback, and their pieces are going to start yeah. to disperse. It feels like the beginning no. of something. In fact, it's the opposite. Yeah. Uh, from Field Yates of ESPN today, the Chiefs' offense will now return with. 10 of 11 of their Super Bowl starters, five of its top six leading rushers, eight of its nine leading receivers, six of its seven offensive linemen in terms of snaps uh, that played last year. Their offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, is back, led by Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. I think that's the first time I heard somebody say that's the first time that any Super Bowl contending or Super Bowl uh, defending title team is bringing back that many players from the, the original team since, I think, the 08 Patriots. Right. That's, I mean... And I think if we're going to follow any mold and fall into any kind of mold, the 08 Patriots is a good, you know, trend to kind yeah. of follow. So that's, right. I'm stoked on that, man. And, and I thought I was of the belief, and I was definitely wrong on this. I really was of the belief that we were going to hear about Chris Jones's extension or news on Chris Jones before we heard of Sammy, because I still do believe that Chris is the more important asset mm. to the team's success. I oh, do believe that that's even, still true, yeah. if we were to find out today, instead of Sammy resigning or restructuring that they traded him, I mean, I, I wouldn't have been shocked, and I feel like the Chiefs can just go out there and maybe draft a wide receiver in the mid-rounds that is more press coverage friendly, that is able to beat that. Like, we did talk to Ken Swanson about mm-hmm. a few episodes ago. Um, but now that that's not the case, now that we know that Sammy will be here for one more year, I do feel it puts more emphasis, and quite honestly, I feel more confident that Chris Jones is going to be a Chief next yeah. season. I heard uh, Adam Schefter taking uh, questions from even Chiefs fans on a live. I believe it was on Periscope or something like that on Twitter, and he was talking to Chiefs fans, and they were asking him questions about Chris Jones directly. And something Adam Schefter was saying that I, I we've known Adam Schefter at the at the ESPN platform for about 12, 13 years now at least, right. and. You see his tendencies when he when you know he knows something. And the sense I got from Adam is 
the Chiefs are absolutely fighting tooth and nail to get Chris Jones to sign a contract. Well, and there's been no outside noise from any other teams. We've heard zero interest from anybody. Absolutely. That's what's bizarre. And like we talked about last week, I think that the uh, reason for that also could be that some of the teams that are interested, because I definitely do believe there are teams that are trying to get Chris Jones off the Chiefs. Well, the Chiefs are probably setting the the bar pretty high on what they want. Well, they're teams that I don't think the Chiefs are interested in trading with. I don't think the Chiefs want to trade him to the Colts. I'm sure the Raiders have inquired about Chris Jones. I'm sure sure, sure that's probably uh, I'm, I'm sure that, but I'm also like the Colts are a team that I would look after because of the fact that they're a couple of pieces away from really contending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that could be the second or third best team in the AFC as yeah. it stands. And again, you add a Chris Jones to a team like that that's already talented enough with good or great coaching, in my opinion. I think Freak Wright's a damn good coach, absolutely, and awesome. Sure. Yeah, a great front office. You give a Chris Jones to that team, even if you, even if you get a couple early picks out of it you're really putting yourself in jeopardy of of giving your direct competition a big standing uh, chance. I'm not yeah. saying that I would pick them against the Chiefs, but you're really putting yourself in jeopardy of p- making your opponents, your direct opponents, that much better. You don't want to do that in football. So I, I think that's a holdup right now with what's going on with Chris Jones. But back to Sammy, back to what's going on with this. The thing we have to understand about this, guys, is Trevor made a great point. that We don't see this stuff very often. We don't see it to where teams are able to acquire and reacquire almost their entire team. Yeah, because usually the pieces disperse because so many other people are throwing money at them to get the pieces of those winning pieces, you know, so – for us to keep him back. And plus, it's a, it's a win-win for both sides because not only does Sammy, being a young player still, has a lot of football left in him, has another chance to prove, you know, and, and, and def- definitely up his numbers from last season during the re- – at least show that he can showcase his talents in the regular season a lot more than he did last year. And plus, it's a win for the Chiefs because it gives us a chance to get more produ- production because this is going to be the biggest kick in the ass he's probably ever had in his career to really, really showcase whether he's with us the following season or with another team. This will give him the chance to make even more money because like, his next contract could be even bigger. You know, if, if, if he goes off this, even the regular season, then it obviously as a hero in the postseason again – his resume is going to be out the roof. So, for, but for the Chiefs, you know, like I said, him him showing his productivity uh, in the regular season is going to be so huge for us because it's going to it's really going to boost. And plus, we came overcame so many obstacles last year with Pat being down and with Sammy himself being down. You know, I, I think we overcame so much. I think the pendulum is going to swing back a little bit this year. Or, you know, hopefully, we're not going to deal with so many injuries and and you know things like that getting in the way. So I think this sets up perfectly for the Chiefs, not only the Chiefs but Sammy himself as an individual player to showcase his true his true talents. And I think he's set up to have a career year this year, man. I hope so. I mean, I was I was the guy that really thought that Sammy was going to have that year last season. Mm-hmm. I felt like because the onus was going to be so much on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey that you were going to see Sammy really break out. And then he goes and has himself the Jaguars game, and it really felt like that was going to be the case. Right? Like, oh my God, this is the, well, all right, Sammy. He's going to be an all-pro. And, I'm so, and I love the, the also the, the the additional fact of that they brought back to Marcus Robinson, who is in direct con, con, not conflict but competition for those snaps with Sammy because they sh- they had almost the identical amount of percentage of snaps last year. Yeah, you know, so having those guys back, you know, ha- bringing Robinson back on a you know a minimum deal, two point two, right, 2. a veteran minimum yeah. deal to be in, you know, to to for him and Sammy to fight each other for those snaps to showcase, you know, who's going to get those those purposeful purposeful snaps. Right. That I I love having that, especially at a training camp, you know, and then leading into a year where they're both competing to make money, their next contract. And I, I think the Chiefs are having one of those quietly awesome off seasons. Yeah. This isn't one of those off seasons where you're seeing them yanking guys like Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark out of We're the We're not mix. reaching. They're yeah. not going out there and signing long these humongous deals. That was 2019. Yeah, I was going to say that was the year prior. 
That's so. So there's a plan here. You can clearly see the plan in place. Obviously, 2019 was the year that they went all in because they knew they had a legit shot of winning the Super Bowl. Yep. Now that they have established their core, now it's dynasty building. We've Absolutely. talked about this so many times on the show that signing guys like Sammy Watkins and Chris Jones are dynasty moves. That's why I truly believe that it isn't going to be Sammy Watkins and not Chris Jones. It's going to be them in tandem. I do believe they both will be in Kansas City. Yeah. Obviously, Chris Jones could play this whole season on tag, but I do believe Chris Jones is a part of the long term well, for the Chiefs. Yeah, and also what I love about the Sammy Watkins move, once again, is uh, heading into the draft. This takes a lot of pressure off of us you know, because this is obviously a wide receiver heavy draft and defensive end uh, uh, heavy draft. Um, so that kind of takes some of the pressure off of us because we, we obviously have our receivers now. You know, we could draft a guy for the future, but we don't have to take one of those early guys, I think, right now. You know, so because if we didn't bring Sammy back, we obviously were talking about, do we take a, a wide receiver in the draft? You know, there's, that takes a lot of the pressure off of us for even thinking that. So now if we want to go linebacker, you know, get a coverage linebacker early on in the draft when everyone's going wide receiver or corner or even take a corner early, you know, or, you know, I, I, what I think we're going to do is, is, is move back in the second round, get a couple more picks. And, and attack that second round heavy because I think there's going to be a lot of corners and linebackers sitting there because I think it's going to be an offensively heavy first round. That's just the way I see it going. But I like, like you said, we have our core guys. So now we can kind of just go with whatever needs we have. And we don't even have a lot of needs besides linebacker and maybe another corner. So it's exciting to, to, to feel like we we can kind of go in knowing almost like knowing what the Chiefs kind of want to do and attack in the draft. Because lately we yeah. haven't had that feeling. We kind of never really know where we're going to go in the draft. I, I would never be opposed to the – I was talking to a friend earlier today about this. He was asking me, what do you think the Chiefs are going to do in the draft? I, I really have no idea. They have five picks, and we're going to talk about this probably next week on next week's show Yeah. Uh, in regards to what I think is going to happen in the draft, what we think is going to happen in the draft, where we'd like to see the Chiefs, where how we'd like to see them attack it. Mm-hmm. But if I saw the Chiefs take a take a wide receiver still in yeah, the mid oh, rounds, oh, no, I'm not yeah. upset with it because of how rich in talent this draft class is at wide receiver. We could just go best player available. I'm fine with that too. Yeah, I am too because like you like you just stated, we're we're sitting here talking about a team that has very little want. Mm. That's the beautiful thing about, and that's why I'm talking about this offseason being so awesome. Mm. Is that yes. It isn't in totality. It's an exciting offseason, much like last offseason. But that's what makes it great yeah. is the fact that you built so much in one offseason from 2018 to 2019. This Chiefs team as a whole was completely different. Now it's the complete opposite where you are retaining. It's about retaining. I love the approach the Chiefs have made this offseason. I yeah. was very worried about some of the things they did over the last couple of years, and I felt like we had uh, legitimate reasons to be concerned. This offseason, they're playing with house money, yeah. and I feel like I need to be handing them money because I feel like they're doing everything I would want them to do. I'm not excited about Reamers. I'm not excited about uh, 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 Antonio, uh, the, the cornerback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not excited about these guys. He's a special teamer. They're, they're, yeah. they're depth guys. Yeah. So these are the types of moves we were going to see. And if they're going to make moves, like I've said on Twitter, like I've said on the show, it's going to be bringing guys back. Well, they've brought even more guys back than I expected. I did not expect Demarcus Robinson to be back in Kansas City. I did not expect Sammy Watkins to be back. And as Trevor said, more than likely, Rashad Breeland's going to come back now because the market's not there for him like we anticipated. Love he it. was out there trying to get big bucks. And he's not getting the big bucks. Kendall Fuller did because he's more versatile. He went back to where he started. Now he's got $40 million. That's not out there for Brashad Breeland, at least not to this point. When he went back to a franchise that knows him, I mean, he's been there before. So that helped him a lot with his leverage. But yeah. It's exciting times. These are times for Chiefs fans to be excited. I know that sounds crazy to say, seeing they just won the most exciting game. They just won the Super Bowl. But these are times for to be even more excited because, like I said, this is ascension. 
This team is ascending as yeah, a We haven't lost it's, anybody with extreme value. You can make the case that this Chiefs team is better now than it was in 2019. You can make that legitimate case. Yeah. I know that Ogba and guys like that and Okafor have left now. Those are revolving pieces. Yeah. You can find guys like that at all times. You can find Terrell Suggs like that all the time at that stage of his career. There are going to be veterans. They're going to take minimum contracts to play in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, with Andy Reid, with these guys in place. That's why it's so important to have the core in place because once you have the core in place across all team sports, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, you name it, you got to have that corner for you to build a dynasty. Yes, it all starts and be, it all begins with Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes. That is absolutely true. But even the Patriots needed other pieces around them at a consistent pace in order for Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick to elevate their franchise into dynasty form. That's what has to happen here in Kansas City. If you continue to build off this core they have right now and continue to build upon it with these pieces, like I said, you're going to have a dynasty here in Kansas City. Well, the difference City. between the Patriots situation is I think we're going to draft better. Because they didn't well, at least the wide receiver. The should. Patriots didn't draft very well the majority of those years, even when they were still competing for championships. They were, they were depending on a lot on free agency acquisitions, and it obviously worked out for them. So I I, I just want to see. I would love to see Veach work his magic again and get some and find some talent even deep in the, the later rounds. So. Well, and and the Chiefs also added a tight end from the Cardinals today. Yep. Uh, Ricky Seals Jones. He's twenty five years old. Uh, has no numbers that are going to really bounce out and say, "Oh my God, this guy's a you know the next Travis Kelsey." It's, he's in no a way, good athlete. Is going to be that, in my yeah. opinion, he's Demetrius Harris, except pretty good at football. He's got better uh, hands. He's got better hands than Demetrius. Harris. He had four touchdowns he's a last true season. Tight end. He had yeah. four touchdowns last season with the Cardinals, who are a young team. Uh, they didn't really have an image last season. They're going to get better this year, obviously. But right. he had four touchdowns in an offense that was still very, very young with Kyler Murray, a rookie quarterback. And I think with Patrick Mahomes, with all the weapons around, I, I would not be shocked, guys, if Ricky Seals-Jones has more than four touchdowns. I mean, I'm not trying no. to make predictions yet. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would not shock me. run some two tight end sets. Yeah, Demetrius Harris, I think, had five touchdowns yeah. his last season in Kansas City. He's much better than Demetrius Ricky Seals-Jones is better than yes. Demetrius Harris. Yeah. So I, I, I like this signing. And he's I, an athletic receiving tight end. He's not the, the big blocker type, no. which, which, which is what Bell was. Like Bell, he was a more of a he was I mean, he was a decent receiver, but he was more of a bigger body yeah, blocker. A, yeah, he's a blocking. Ricky Seals Jones is a, is a really good athlete, and he's got very he's good good route running ability, and he's got really good hands. He's really good in the red zone. And to that point, like we've been talking about with Sammy, we, we've been talking about Demarcus Robinson. These are proven deals. Yeah, this is what I love about what Andy Reid and Brett Veach do. These are proven deals they give these guys. Even Tyron Matthew got a three year deal, and he was twenty seven coming into Kansas City in the prime of his career. Yep. Frank Clark, three years of that contract are guaranteed. After the after that third season, the Chiefs can do away with Frank Clark at 30 years old. Mm. So there's a again, there's a lot that I I like what they're doing here. They're putting guys on prove it deals, keeps a team hungry, not satisfied in the midst of a Super Bowl run and a dynasty run. That is beautiful. And I think these types of moves are going to be what ultimately keeps Patrick Mahomes from getting his deal this offseason. I could be wrong about that too. But with everything added up, I think Patrick Mahomes is going to set back for one more offseason, get more money. Next offseason, because if you talk about going from the AFC Championship to the Super Bowl to potentially another Super Bowl, dude's going to guaranteed make over $40 million a year. Yeah. And, yeah. If get, and if he knows that this gives an opportunity for them to get Chris Jones, almost guarantee them to keep Chris Jones, you know Patrick's going to be on board with that, especially if they can add a couple more veterans along with he that. He wants to win, man. Exactly. He it's all about win. winning, guys, and that's what it comes down. He's going to get paid regardless. He's already getting paid off endorsements. Yeah. So th- th- we have to understand that this team, for the first time in our franchise's history, is in a position to build a dynasty. It didn't happen 50 years ago. That was a team that was patched together, right time, right place, got to the Super Bowl and won it. And that was it. 
We didn't see it again for 50 years. Mm. This team is now in a very unique place. It all started somewhere for the Patriots. It all started somewhere with the Steelers and these other dynasties like the 49ers. They weren't always dynasties. They had their eras where they put it together and they won a string of Super Bowls. That's where the Chiefs are at right now. And these are the type of moves you have to make in order for that to be possible. So we're going to leave it there. Would love to hear you guys' thoughts on that. Hit us up on Twitter at The Spoken Pod. Hit us up on the group at on Facebook at The Spoken. You can follow us there. You can join in. You can contribute there. Would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this because, honestly, I did hear a few uh, Chiefs fans did not like that. I would love to hear the reasons why. I posted the poll on both Twitter and Facebook. Do tell. And we heard people say they did not agree with it. I would love to hear the reasons, so definitely hit us up on there. But like I said, we're going to take a quick break because we have a very, very special segment, one of the more special segments I think we've ever had on this show. I'm not going to give anything away yet. Just stay tuned, guys. This is going to be something fun. We'll get back to that after this. Midcoast Modern is a Kansas City focus on modern handmade and small brands. A resource for design-centric home goods, apparel, jewelry, artwork, and limited edition gifts. We support makers, artists from the Midcoast and bring in goods from makers, artists around the U.S. to offer a unique selection. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number three. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Twidwell Studios once again with my guy, Trevor Twidwell. You already know the last name by now. That's good. Uh, Eddie is on the shelf once again, like I said, guys, but he will be back as soon as possible. I do promise you that. He misses you just as much as you miss him, I'm sure. Um, I, I left I left the last segment off with – I didn't really give you anything, quite frankly. I told you guys that – this was going to be a special segment, and I meant that because this is something that I wanted to honor a, an all-time great chief with something, um, and it was timely because this is episode 58, and we all know that uh, number 58 is special here in Kansas City. And um, before we get started, though, I do want to make a, a special shout-out. I don't know if you guys heard the song before the segment came back in, uh, but shout-out to Bill, Bill Withers who died today at the beautiful age of 81. Um, Bill was one of those rare and unique musical artists that was able to capture generations of music listeners and lovers with his timeless classics like uh, Ain't No Sunshine, Lovely Day, Lean On Me, and of course, Use Me Up, like you timeless, heard. Timeless, yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, it just it was a really, really weird day. Like I said, the Sammy Watkins news got me excited, and then I heard about uh, Bill and just kind of threw things off a little bit. But I just wanted to throw that out there because we definitely appreciated the work he did. Um, but this is the this is a list that I really wanted to put together um, because of like I said this is episode fifty eight, and I remember being a young kid and 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 watching Derek Thomas and and just how much he meant uh, to this uh, this fan base and this team this organization as you guys heard our guy Shaggy Shane at the beginning of the show uh, give a personal testimony of what it was like watching Derek Thomas in the nineties and, and Shaggy being a little bit older than all of us guys um, seeing it as an adult me being a child. I obviously admired the hell out of him, but it was it was different, and mm. I I kind of envy people that got to see yeah. Derek Thomas from a from an adult Shit, that standpoint. defense in general. Yeah, Not it even was just him. That yeah. defense was incredible. And so what I decided is, is to you know let's comprise a list here, a, t- a top five all time Chiefs list. Now most people that give lists like this, and I, I've already said it on shows previous that I hate opinion based lists. 
And I mean that. So what I decided is to step it up a little bit um, and standardize this thing. Uh, we are basing this list off of talent, production, and team contribution. Those are now obviously the, the, the three will w- vary with each player because they play different positions and things of that nature. Um, but that's what we are basing this list off of. And I really wanted to add Priest Holmes. Really wanted to add yeah. Priest Holmes to my top five. Yep. Why? Because from 2001 to 2003, Priest tallied up 4,590 rushing yards, 56 rushing touchdowns, 1,976 receiving yards, and five more touchdowns. Uh, And despite only playing eight games in 2004, Priest Holmes put over 1,000 yards and 15 touchdowns. Think about that for a second. That's ridiculous. Running backs aren't doing that in today's game in all 16 games. And that was a good offense, not even just him. That was a good passing offense right. as well. And so from 2001 to 2000 through 2004, Priest put up 7,645 yards and 76 touchdowns hmm. in a four-season span. Stupid. Those are simply unprecedented numbers in NFL history, and he contributed to the Chiefs having some of the greatest offenses ever. Yeah. But he didn't make my list. And I really I really wanted to put Jamal Charles on my list Same, too. Same, man. And why? Because Jamal was without question one of the most unique running backs we've ever seen in NFL history. Long, lanky, borderline skinny, yet was able to run through the B and C gaps with relative ease. Mm-hmm. Jamal currently owns the highest yards per carry average in NFL history despite playing the majority of his career and his absolute peak surrounded by subpar at best offensive talent. And I believe he was before his time because I think he would thrive even more in today's No football. question. And from two, yeah, from 2012 no to 2014, Jamal put up 3,829 rushing yards, 26 rushing touchdowns, 1,220 receiving yards, and 13 receiving touchdowns while averaging five yards per carry. Hmm. You see those numbers and compare them to Priest, and you ask me, well, why would you even put him above Priest? Because I mentioned Priest, now I'm mentioning Jamal. Yeah. I mean, look at the quarterbacks, though, that Jamal had. I mean, you're talking about Matt Castle, Brady Quinn, and Alex Smith. Hmm. And, and like I said, the surrounding talent, the best receiver that he had on his teams was Dwayne Bow. I loved Dwayne Bow at the time. He yeah. was not a number one wide receiver nah. for the majority of his career. Yeah. He had guys like Donnie Avery and Steve Breston around him. It was just it was just bad. And I can go on and on and on about Jamal, but I'm gonna get to my top five list, man, because this was a very tough list to put together. It took me a long time. But I'm gonna start with my number five. Actually, you know what? Trevor, I want you to give me your number five, and then I'll go to my number five. So you go ahead. Give me give me your fifth player on your list as far as your top five all-time chiefs number five is not only because of his impact the longevity of his career um his personal personality and and leadership um i'm going defensively on my on my number five here i'm going uh dj Derek johnson okay. yeah uh i think he's a hall of famer will be a hall of famer um the best linebacker as far as numbers and productivity and and and, and like i said longevity um until the very end, end of his career when he started you know obviously with the achilles and the all the uh the injuries um, and then uh, his little stint with the Raiders there, that was rough to see that. I but, forgot about that. Yeah, I my try P- to forget. About, PTSD I, I try to forget one. about that, but I can't, man. Um, but anyways, uh, one of the most loved Chiefs of all time. Uh, I can't not have him in my top five. I just, I think, obviously, his numbers speak for themselves. You know, he was incredible. Uh, one of the best open field tacklers in Chiefs history, if not the best. Um, in his prime, he's incredible at, at, at stripping the ball from the quarterbacks and, and his strip sacks and his ability to meet running backs in the backfield before they had a chance to even get to the line of scrimmage. He was incredible to watch. Uh, I grew up my he was one of the guys that kind of introduced my true love and passion for the Chiefs because you know his whole his whole career was like as I was growing as we were growing as kids watching Chiefs at, Chiefs games at Grandpa's house. Uh, he was one of the funnest guys to watch defensively. So he's gonna, he's solidly in my number five spot. Well, my number five is, uh, I believe, your favorite chief of all time, Tony Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. 
And why do I have Tony at five? Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory why he made my five. And here are the Chiefs' all-time receiving records that Tony G owns. Receptions with 916, receiving yards with 10,940, touchdown receptions with 76, and targets with 1,409. And he did all of that without a single great quarterback. In fact, Tony G spent most of his career catching passes from the likes of quarterbacks like Elvis Gerbach, Damon Heward, Tyler Thigpen, Mr. Thigbone himself, (laughs) Brody Croyle, and Todd Collins. Tony G was oftentimes the only proven receiving option, yet just like Priest Holmes was a major reason why the Chiefs led the league in scoring in 2003 and was one of the best offenses of the 2000s. All those quarterbacks sound like failed jazz musicians or something. (laughs) Those are white names. I don't know. Damon Hewitt. There's a lot of white dudes that play jazz. That doesn't sound like a guy who's playing a trumpet. You see, I said said failed. Yeah, that's a good good point. That's a good point. <laughs> We're field podcasters, apparently. All right, Trevor, who is your number four on your list? Uh, number four, I'm going with the O line here. I'm going another Hall of Famer, Will Shields. Uh, we talked. We talked about the great offenses that we with Trent Green offenses, and uh, we talked about who uh, Priest Holmes production. Who was the guy leading the pack and, and and blasting those holes and giving Priest Holmes and and Jamal not Jamal Charles but other running backs Larry, Larry Johnson uh, the the ability to have that production, you know, and, and obviously he's a hall of famer for a reason. He's possibly the greatest at his position of all time, uh, right up there with all the, all the other greats. So Will Shields to me, man, obviously a great personality, very well-spoken guy was always uh, fun to watch was an absolute leader in the locker room. Um, and, uh, an ultimate pro. So he's gotta be, he's gotta be my top five. Couldn't leave him out. Uh, and I try to like, kind of not just, I, I try to like, you know, pay attention to other guys that were great at other positions. So I felt like a, a, our great, one of our, our greatest, obviously, obviously our greatest offensive lineman de- should de- be deserving of being my top five. So I went with Will Shields. Nice. My number four is going to be Derek Johnson. Yeah. Why there has never been a defensive player in chiefs history that has, that has been more consistent and produced at a higher level. Yep. And I mean that, and I know that's going to piss off a lot of the older guys who were big Willie Lanier guys and Buck Buchanan. I can't wait till he's in the Hall of Fame. And cause... I appreciate all those guys, but this man played in the modern era, and it's a different football game. Yeah. Um, leading all Chiefs players in tackles, ninth all-time in games played, 13th amongst non-cornerbacks in interceptions, 6th all-time in defensive that's touchdowns. Ridiculous. Fourth in forced fumbles, eleventh in fumble recoveries, thirteenth in sacks as a middle linebacker, second in tackles for loss, and fifth yep. in quarterback hits. And he did all of that despite despite Todd Haley doing everything in his power <laughs> to ruin DJ's career. Yeah. Before Mahomes, I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you guys this. For anybody that has not known me for any length of time, before Mahomes, DJ was my absolute favorite chief of all time. Um. He, like Tony G and Jamal, had to bear the burden of being born just a little too early and therefore had to endure the dust days of Chiefs football before the dawn of what we know now to be. Hmm. Even with that considered, you will find it difficult to find a more talented, more productive, more beloved Chiefs player ever than DJ. That's why he makes my list. Trevor, who is your number three? Number three is Tony Gonzalez. Um, Not only is he my favorite Chief of all time, he's actually currently right now, since I've been a kid, is my favorite football player of all time. Um, I've always been a big tight end guy. I always like the guys that would throw the, the the blocks, you know, get in you know get in the trenches, but also be incredible at catching passes. Uh, obviously, he was better at that part of the game than he was blocking. But he was obviously he was an elite wide receiver playing the tight end position. The guy's numbers are incredible. 
Um, I loved playing the guy and I also got to play basketball with him one time. So that kind of helped. Uh, How had, bad did he kick your ass? I had that great memory and he was shirtless too. And I was questioning my sexuality <laughs> at that young age. Um, but and who wouldn't be honest? Yeah, Let's be real, man. He was, a, he was a specimen, man. And I've had, and I know, I know we've had the whole issue with him talking about the Atlanta stuff and then people thinking he was shitting on Kansas city. I, I look past that because of what he did and what he meant to the city when he played here. Um, he's a hall of fame talent, obviously a hall of famer. Um, but I, I grew up admiring that guy so much. Uh, even when we played pickup football, and I would just pretend that was him when we were playing. I loved playing the tight end, going to the short slants and t- taking it to the house. He was just so fun to watch. He was incredible in the red zone. No no linebacker or corner could really hold the guy. He was just too incredible. He found his spot, and he would get up and get the, the go-get-em balls every single time. And then the iconic dunking on the goalpost was you know, a memorable moment uh, that's tattooed on my brain. I'll never forget his impact in Kansas City and this in this Chiefs team, his Chiefs organization. So, I would have I would have figured you'd been tattooed right above your ass. It, it, it's there. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. You don't so know it's about on your it brain yet. and ass. Yeah, I'm, that's cool. I, I, yeah. So I avoid showing anybody that part of my body. So for that reason, but yeah, Tony Gonzalez. You guys are learning a lot about my brother right now, guys. Yeah, I'm just yeah. letting you know this is some inside information. I, I'm learning as you guys. <laughs> so I feel like we're like a family in this matter. So yeah. this is interesting. This is an interesting dynamic that we're in right now. So definitely, definitely uh, take this seriously because this is. But a, I will let you know. This Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey's creeping up becoming my favorite chief of all time. So, uh, but uh, Tony Gonzalez right now, that's my, that's my all time guy. So I'm going with him in that spot. My number three is Will Shields. Yeah. Why? <laughs> this is the, I'm, I've been so excited to talk about this one. I posted this on Twitter and it did numbers and I can, I can tell why. I mean, the Chiefs fans out there are very excited about this one. And, and I'm going to explain it from week two of the 1993 season. All the way to week 17 of the 2006 season, Will Shields didn't miss a single start. It's incredible, dude. 223 consecutive starts. Do you realize how damn near impossible that is for any player at any position to accomplish? Yeah. And yes, I said accomplish because it's nearly the greatest streak in NFL history. Here's the list of the players that have played in the modern era with longer starting streaks than Will Shields. Brett Favre. Bruce Matthews, Philip Rivers. That's it. <laughs> Two Hall of Fame quarterbacks yeah. and a fellow Hall of Fame offensive lineman. That's it. The fact that an offensive lineman is that high in the list, or even in the top ten, is outrageous. This is all right. This is the craziest stat. I found this, and I literally about if I had any hair on my head, I would have lost it on this you, one. You don't. Uh, um, Will Shields was the ultimate Iron Man. He not only went to twelve straight Pro Bowls. Will Shields committed 20, 20 total penalties in his 14-year career for a grand total of 170 penalty yards. Guys. That doesn't make any sense. Think about Try to comprehend that for a second. No. 14 seasons, 223 consecutive games, 224 total, 20 penalties. In totality, that is less than one, 0.1 penalties per start. Had Shields been lucky enough to be a better, played for a better ran franchise at the time, or had been lucky enough to play with Mahomes under Andy, Shields would be so much more of a deservingly more recognized across the football landscape player. Regardless, when he played, or who, regardless of where he played or who he played for, alongside Will Shields is without question one of the five greatest players to ever wear the red white and yellow. Also, I, it's not even yeah. close. Also man. one of the five greatest players to never win a ring. 
hands down. I mean, yeah, I mean, offensive linemen kind of get put in a separate category yeah, a lot of times because they don't have those stats. stats. Those stats you said right now and that streak is just that's it's stupid, man. Yeah, it's absolutely reliable. Stupid. That's all time. So, Trevor, who is your number two on the list? I mean, I can't have this. We can't have this segment without this guy. So, I'm going to go with my number two, Derek Thomas. Uh, I don't even need to say much. If any, if anybody of you are, are you know a true red and gold fan, you know the history. You know what he meant to the city. You know what the loss of him meant to the city and the impact and the doom and gloom that the dark clouds that hung over the city for months after his passing, um, you know, and the, his stats alone, his sacks and his, you know, his everything. I mean, that can go on. We can go on all day about him. I'm sure you'll, you, you know, you can go on all day with stats about him and everyone, like I oh, said, don't worry, I will. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to leave that to you, <laughs> but I'm just want to, I mean, it's for me, it's, it's just self-evident that yeah. the, the, the impact of that guy, I mean, I can remember, I, I wasn't a, a very cognizant, of you know what was going on at the time because I was still a young kid in the early '90s when he was dominating when he was dominating the the, the league, um, but I do remember uh, and I, obviously I've watched plenty of film on him and stuff. So I just the, the impact that he brought for this Chiefs that Chiefs defense at that time and then the 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 preparation that teams feared the preparation of other teams coming in to, you know to face the Chiefs and having to deal with him, him as a nuisance was. You know, it's it's all time, and we've we've watched documentaries on it. We've watched other you know coaches talk about the how he would just wreak havoc, man. And it didn't matter if you double teamed him or not; he was getting to your quarterback, so or your running back. So he was, uh, yeah. Derek Thomas is my number two solid number two spot there. Um, could very easily be number one, but uh, yeah, it's that's my guy number two. Well, my number two is also Mr. Derek Thomas, number fifty-eight. Why we're doing this entire yeah. segment? Um, I'm going to give you the numbers because the the numbers are incredible. Um. Fourth all-time in games played by a Chiefs defender. First all-time in sacks by a margin of 37. First all-time in forced fumbles. First all-time in fumble recoveries. First all-time in defensive touchdowns. Third all-time in, t- in, in tackles, total tackles. Owns the NFL single-game single sack record with seven and is 17th in NFL history with 126.5 sacks. Derek Thomas was the ultimate representation of Chiefs football in the 90s. There is no question about it. Yeah. A hard-hitting, gritty, slick, maneuvering, consistently pain in the ass. He was the ultimate Marty player. If anybody remembers Marty Ball, on the defensive side, it was Derek Thomas. He was fueled by anger. He was Marty's Lawrence Taylor to um, uh, Bill Parcells. No question asked. No questions asked. Um, I bet if Marty could have created his own pass rusher, he would have created Derek Thomas. Exactly as as he was. He was one of the first athletes I genuinely loved in my entire life. Yeah. Um, he played when I was a very young child and I remember watching football with my dad and, and Derek was always one of those guys that you just couldn't ha- help but marvel. Um, and losing him 20 years ago still feels surreal. Uh, his legacy encapsulates both nostalgia and current admiration. I mean, he, we may never see another guy close to Derek Thomas with a career cut short too, to have those numbers is what's incredible. In right. Itself. And he was one of a kind, a special breed in his, I think a safe, safe second. In, in Chiefs all-time history, uh, most people would probably put him at the top, and I wouldn't yeah. blame him at all. If if you have him in your top two, I think that's about as logical as it gets, man. There's there's just been few players in, in Chiefs history that have made the impact and was as talented as Derek Thomas was. I don't think there's any question about that. So moving to the top spot, Trevor, who is the greatest Chiefs player, the top player of Chiefs history to this point? Well, I'm going to say it, and I don't think it's too early to put this guy there already. The greatest thing to ever happen to the Chiefs organization ever and maybe we'll never ever see anything like this as a chef's chiefs fan so patrick patrick levon mahomes is already the greatest chief of all time born september 17th 1995 amen 
<laughs> I just, there's nothing. I mean, uh, we've, we've, we've experienced, we, and we've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast. We've had our moments before, even before, you know, we knew what Patrick Mahomes really was. Me and Lance have had conversations about the possibility of him becoming even slightly special, not the best player in the NFL, um, which he is now. Uh, it, he's hands down the greatest thing that's ever happened to this this franchise. Uh, one of the greatest things I think that ever happened to the NFL, just just for the the way he's changed the game already, and the way that he's made other teams try to find the next Patrick Mahomes already. You know, so his impact not only for the Chiefs but for the the entire Shield. Um, is just unmatched in my mind um, as an individual talent in a, in a franchise altering player. Um, his stats alone, obviously, for his, his first year as a starter with the MVP and the fifty the fifty touchdowns and the five thousand yards uh, to launch his career uh, is it's unprecedented uh, for anyone to start their career. It's the greatest start to any any one career in maybe sports history, uh, and I've, I'll be forever grateful regardless of how long he's here, regardless of how long his career is, the fact that he changed the entire direction of this franchise uh, and has gave us what our our childhood dream was, you know, seeing the Chiefs hoist that trophy in the air. Um, and now he's got us expecting more. Uh, I'm, I, there's never been a better feeling as a sports fan in general, not even just a Chiefs fan, but as a, a fan of sports, uh, for our guy to be the guy, um, like I said, it's unprecedented. The, the way he's absolutely changed not only this franchise, but this city. We now feel like a city of champions with the Royals doing what they did a few years back. And now that she's being the best team and the ultimate contender for the to run it back again. Uh, and we have him at such a young age and he's doing what he's doing already. Um, yeah, he's, he's in my mind, there's no question who the best chief player of all time is. And it's Patrick LeVon Mahomes. Well, there is no spoiler on this one. Um, who is it? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, everybody's been just like waiting at Tough. the edge of their sh- their edge of their, sh- their seat to figure out what this <laughs> is. Now that we've already given away Derek Thomas, look, man, Trevor said it a hundred percent. And my first line is Patrick Mahomes. And the reason why is he is the single greatest thing to ever happen to this team into this fan base. That we echoed each other's sentiments on that. But not only has he already established himself as the greatest quarterback in franchise history, Mahomes is the greatest quarterback we have ever seen before the age of twenty five in NFL history or any age for that matter, but that's just my opinion. So I'm going to kind of just throw that to the side for a Mm -hmm. second. I've always said that Patrick Mahomes isn't rewriting Chiefs history. He's creating it. There's a massive difference because the Chiefs have had very little to be proud of on the field in the modern era. And Mahomes is the embodiment of everything and anything the Chiefs fans could ever ask for in a quarterback and is everything this team has needed in a quarterback and more. And I realize that he's only two years in, just like Trevor said, uh, but you know, starting at the quarterback for the Chiefs, I don't, I don't see how I could consider myself a sane individual if I felt or believed that there has been a single player in the history of this franchise more talented, more productive, and has contributed more to his team than Patrick Mahomes. And those are literally the three standards we put on this entire segment. There has never been one, and and this was to honor and to respect Derek Thomas. And I think that Derek Thomas um, has his own area of history in Kansas City. So you can't really compare him and Patrick Mahomes. When it comes to Patrick Mahomes, though, he not only plays a more important position in football standards, but he's taken this franchise to a place that I don't think, like, even though we wanted to believe it, even though we wanted to believe growing up and becoming men that this was going to eventually happen, we were eventually going to see this team turn the tide. I never never honestly believed we were going to ever see something like Patrick Mahomes in the NFL, let alone in my own city. That is the, that is what just 
baffles me that this is reality sometimes. Like when I walk before the show even started, before you guys even got here, mm-hmm. when I was just collecting some notes, I I just felt the ner- the need to go watch some Patrick Mahomes tape. And I started watching the 2019 season all over again mm. and watching him play and dominate the way he did because it's so enjoyable. It's so easy to watch. It's so much fun. It's like watching a video game in human form. It's unreal. It's unprecedented. That's the only way we can explain this guy. He's so great that even in a segment that we're dedicating to Derek Thomas, he still takes the top spot. That's how incredible that Patrick yeah. Mahomes is. And I would be, like I said, hard-pressed to believe that people wouldn't have him at least in their top two. And if you guys have your own list based upon the standards we've presented, if you have a list of your five greatest chiefs based upon talent, production, and team contribution, send it to us. Like I said, follow us on The Spoken Pod on Twitter at The Spoken Pod and follow us on Facebook on the Facebook group The Spoken. Give us your guys' list and let us know what you guys think about ours. Give us your reasons why you give a player a certain spot. If you disagree, maybe you guys have Priest or Jamal on your list. Totally get it. It's kind of a hard list to make wrong. So give us that. But that's where our lists are at right I now. I think we have the same. We have the same guys on the list. It's just different order. Me and your list are the same. I just realized that right now. What can so. we say, guys? We didn't plan that. I promise you. And most of the time, Trevor and I disagree on things like this. So this yeah. is kind of a beautiful moment. I need Trevor, to change it now. Trevor told you about his tramp stamp, and now we're telling you guys about our list that's exactly the same, just mixed together. So that's pretty awesome. But we're gonna take a break right there. Uh, when we get back, we're gonna keep it in the NFL. We're gonna talk about a, a quarterback right now. His 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 path doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And um, hopefully we can make some sense of this. Maybe we can build scenarios to where we can talk about his potential landing spot in 2020. We'll get back to that after this. Casey Hemp Company, your most trusted CBD provider in Kansas City. Shipping nationwide. Ancient plant for a new age health. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Casey Hempco. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number four. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Twidwell Studios with my guy, Trevor Twidwell. That's good. And um, we left it off. We did our uh, DT special, the Derek Thomas special for episode 58. Gave you guys our all-time five best Chiefs of all time. Um, and I would, again, would love to hear your guys' uh, feedback. Let us know what your guys' list is. We would definitely love to hear that back because this was a really special segment for us. It's very different because we don't usually do things like that. Um, but I felt that it was a, it was a time and, and it was necessary for sure. But we want to stick in, in, in the football side of things and – let me just first off say that you know I think we all could agree that 2020 has been by far the weirdest years of our life, year of our life, and it's only April. It's been a catastrophe. I, I try to envision. I, I try to envision how odd this is all for all walks of life, and I, I try to envision what it's been like for Cam Newton. Quite frankly, yes, he's a very wealthy and healthy athlete, so that alone puts him in a much better position at this time than literally 99 percent of us. But that. But to be that talented and to be as accomplished as he is since his college career, to be cut from the team that took him number one over nine years ago and still be available at only 39 year, 31 years old is, is absolutely baffling. And, and let me clarify that I do understand that Cam is not a fundamentally and mechanically sound quarterback, and I 100% believe that plays a factor in his current availability. 
But if the corpse of Joe Flacco can be handed the keys to the Broncos elite, franchise, elite Joe Flacco. If, if a franchise who hired a coach that just got fired with Kyle Allen as his quarterback could trade for Kyle Allen, that's the biggest shot there, man. If a team is willing to give a 43 year old quarterback who does lipo on the weekends 50 million <laughs> guaranteed over a two year span, Cam should not only have a job but should be a starting quarterback. And as crazy as it sounds, I really believe that Cam Newton will be a starter in week one of the 2020 season. Mm. What sounds even crazier, though, is that I have I could not tell you the team that he's going to be the starter for. I have no idea. The teams I think should be going full-fledged after Cam, well, I have a few of them, and the two that are at the top are actually in the AFC West. So stay tuned, Chiefs fans, because this might interest you. The Broncos love Drew Locke, and the kid is talented. There's no question about it. But Elway is on the ropes, even with his own fan base, who literally worships the man, rightfully so. You could say that developing a franchise quarterback like potentially Locke could be what saves Elway's job in the front office legacy. But what saved Elway's job to begin with? Was it Tim Tebow, who they did in fact draft? No. It was a 36-year-old veteran quarterback in Peyton Manning that ironically replaced the drafted Tebow that saved Elway. If I'm Elway, I repeat history and give my team the best chance to battle Mahomes and the Chiefs with a supremely talented Cam Newton. But there's another team in the AFC West that should absolutely be going after Cam Newton. The Chargers are in an absolute no-man's land with Tyrod Taylor. And it is Tarod, by the way. It's not Tyrod. I have this confirmed. I checked a YouTube video, and Tarod said it's Tarod. Yes, get it straight, guys. A lot of people call Tyreek Hill Tariq Hill. It's Tyreek Hill. It's not Tyrod Taylor. It's Tarod Taylor. Just to throw that out there. But they are in absolute no man's land, the Chargers are. They have one of the more talented rosters in football and still can't seem to find a way to get over the hump, better known as the annual disappointment. Tyrod is or here I am. Tyrod is Tyrod. a solid Tyrod is a solid quarterback, but in no way is he a franchise changer. And you know what? Cam may not be anymore either. But the fact is, he has been. And when healthy is a consistent MVP candidate, and it gives me as a coach and GM much more confidence that he can access that ability than a quarterback that never has and never will. How the Chargers haven't already signed Cam is beyond me. And hey, as a Chiefs fan, I'm not complaining and wouldn't be really worried either way. But I would definitely respect a Cam-led Chargers team far more than a Tarod-led Chargers team. And then finally, a wild card team that I wanted to throw out there because I know it probably would not make sense to a lot of people. But it makes a lot of sense to me because this team's in dire need of actually winning. And that is the Buffalo Bills. I know that Josh Allen is going to have every opportunity in the world to have that job and to win that job and to keep that job in Buffalo. They love him up there. He's young. He's talented. And they built around him this offseason, especially getting Stefan Diggs, trying to sure up that offensive line. And I think they're going to be even better on the defensive side this next season as well. But if you know anything about the NFL and young quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks that have a lot to prove, you want to make sure that they stay as uncomfortable as possible to keep them in a position to where they know they're fighting for their job. That's why the Bears went and got Nick Foles for Mitch Trubisky. Maybe a different situation, yeah. but at the same time, they're not getting rid of Mitch Trubisky this year. 
So they're giving Mitch Trubisky a chance to fight for his job. I believe the Bills should handle it no differently with Josh Allen. I do believe Josh Allen's a better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky, but we all know that Josh Allen has significant mechanical problems, just like Cam Newton has had for the majority of his career. Something else we know about Josh Allen on the positive side, a super mobile quarterback, extremely athletic. Big and strong, yeah. One of the most athletic quarterbacks in the NFL. Also, just like Cam Newton, loves to chuck the rock downfield. Cam Newton has one of the highest yards per average throw or yards per attempt in NFL history. Josh Allen is no different. Yeah. And if you go and get yourself a Cam Newton in Buffalo, as crazy as that sounds, because I think that Cam Newton will be starting somewhere, I do think that's what the Josh Allen would need. And if Josh Allen ultimately fails, you have yourself a former MVP, Super Bowl contending quarterback, who also won a national championship, who is also the best player, who won a Heisman in college as well. That's the kind of guy I think Buffalo should be looking at as well. But I put the Broncos and Chargers ahead of them. That's more of a wild card team. I think the Broncos and Chargers should be absolutely looking for Cam. Trevor, what are your thoughts? So those are the teams you think are good fits for for Cam, just in general. I think they're good fits for Cam, and I think Cam's a good fit for them. I don't think Cam going to Buffalo would be a good thing for Josh Allen at all. It wouldn't be. That's what I'm saying. It would, it, could, it could be. That would disrupt that it locker could, room. It, it, could, it could get Josh Allen in a mindset of, okay, this is my last shot. I think, I think for the I Bills, think, I think Sean, it's insurance. I think, I think McDermott has already bought into Josh Allen, though. I think they're, they're confident that Josh Allen is going to develop into the guy, and I feel that way, too. I like Josh Allen a lot. I, I know he's he's got tendencies. Yeah. Like Blowing a 16-point lead in the playoffs is unforgivable. For sure. For sure. I, I, but, I mean, that's a learning experience, though. He's still a young kid. We've seen guys have blunders and learn from it and get back, you know, and and, and learn from that. Um, I just – for for Cam, it's, it's, it's a, I think it's a matter of his personality, man. I – his, like you said, his own coach didn't even – he went and picked up his – because obviously it, with with Rivera being in, in Washington now, he went and picked up Kyle Allen, who was the backup of Cam Newton, and it totally bypassed Cam Newton. Being the, the great talent that Cam Newton is, he didn't even give him the time of day. That, that, that speaks volumes to me, and I respect the shit out of Ron Rivera as a – just a, a, a knowledge-of-the-game type coach, a very even-keeled guy, but a, a guy that's knowledgeable and, and knows what it takes to win. Um, and for him just to so easily just brush past Cam, it, it tells me that either there's there's lingering ish, uh, injury issues uh, that are, that are still not taken care of, or or he has tendencies to get injured a little more that he's more, maybe he's become more brittle as he's aged. Um, and when he when you take away his ability to to rush and extend plays, uh, due to him possibly getting injured. He becomes one dimensional, and that other dimension with him being a true passer of the football, he's not very great at it because you said he's either really good at getting having speeds to receivers and getting the ball downfield to them because he's really good at that. But similar to Josh Allen, he's not very good at the intermediate passes and being accurate and throwing in tight window passes. He's not. He's never been good at that. Um, that's why he runs when the deep play doesn't 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 you know uh, open up for him. Um, as far as I think you left out a team that's a, a possible, and I think actually the most. As far as a team that's desperate to win and, and at least getting the in the winning column again, uh, who was just there a couple years ago, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are a team that would definitely, um, you know, with the Minshew uh, mania going on, I don't know how long that's going to last. Uh, I like Gardner Minshew. I, it's a fun story. He's a cool face with the mustache and all that jazz. But I, I think Cam Newton could be a, a, a um, um, a, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Like he would, he would bring a new mentality to that team. A new swagger to that locker room that wasn't really there before. Because we're talking, you know, the Nick Foles of the world, and and you know these uh, <clears throat> mediocre, not you no, know, not loud and arrogant type 
quarterbacks that were in Jacksonville. It's always been like these, you know, more quiet type guys. I mean, Gardner Minshew's obviously got the flair, but he hasn't had the production yet. Um, I think Cam Newton would actually thrive. I mean, I know it's not the greatest offense, but they do have weapons and they do have a, a really, really good running back in, um, in Leonard there. But, um, and the defense is not the greatest, but I think that I think that's as far as a realistic spot where I think he goes. I don't think the Chargers even gave him the time of day. I think Tyrod's the guy. And I think the Chargers are actually going to be really good this next season. Um, but we'll get that'll get to that's that's down the road. Um, but Broncos is a possibility. Um, like you said, it, it they are desperate over there to get a quarterback to win, just to get in the winning column, and especially in this division because you're going to have to win to be competitive in the AFC West. Um, but those, I agree with those teams, but I just don't think those are realistic outside of the Jacksonville Jaguars and, and possibly Denver. Um, I don't. The market has been so quiet on him, man. I think there's just, I think, I think, me personally, I think it's more of a, a personality thing with him uh, because I, there's no way he's going to go somewhere and be a backup. We know that. Um, you're, you're confident he's going to be a starter somewhere. I'm not, man. I, I think there's a possibility he does not have a job. Because uh, I, I don't think a lot of teams are desperate for quarterbacks right now. And I think one of the few teams, that's why I mentioned the Jaguars, they are kind of desperate. The Broncos are semi-desperate, but even though they believe uh, in the young guy over there. But I I don't know, man. I can't really think of many teams that are desperate for a quarterback right now because there's a lot of young guys that are obviously in a lot of – there's a couple of good quarterbacks in this draft. That, you know, a couple of teams are going to get that were desperate uh, for a quarterback. So uh, with the Dolphins obviously maybe getting Tua and the Bengals obviously getting Joe Burrow, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know where he would he – would, possibly land as far as a starting gig well a couple a couple things uh that you said i'll push back on just a little bit is the fact that you know you talk about you know uh rivera now in washington and you know i've heard a lot of people bring that up as a case as to why cam should concern you know potential suitors Mm. but for me i see it much differently because rivera in washington their situation is far different than any other potential suitor because Rivera is in a place where he has to build this team right now. This team is so far away from contending mm-hmm. that bringing in a Cam Newton at 31 years old doesn't make sense because you're going to pay him 15 to 20 million dollars for a team. Well, for a team that's not going to win anything for the next couple of seasons, so that doesn't make sense for you to do that. You might as well have Dwayne Haskins and a Kyle Allen type fight for Battle that position. Yes, and it's young quarterbacks while you're building a young nucleus. If you want to go and get a veteran quarterback, you go and get a. Might as well have kept Case Keenum. Yeah. You know, at that point. Yeah. Um, and as far as the Jaguars are concerned. The reason why I don't buy that at all, I mean, he could end up going I think there. He would fit well there. It's a run first and, offense. And it would be a Jaguars type of move, but mm-hmm. what doesn't make sense about it is unlike the 2019 Jaguars, the, see, the 2019 Jaguars were trying to win. They really believed getting yeah. Nick Foles, they were going to be a 10 win team. Right. This Jaguars team is almost completely in tank mode. They're trading away all their valuable assets, all their best defenders. Yeah, their defense went to shambles the last half. You know what I'm saying? Season. You're yeah. relying on Leonard Fournette, who's who's been a good but not great running no. back. Yeah, he can't score. Who's been injured a lot. Yeah. Cam Newton going there makes no sense because they're not going to win anything. And if a team's trying to win, yeah. you go and get Cam. It's Newton. not for me. It's not even about my point. Isn't even about what makes sense for Cam. It's what are the possibilities. What teams are even going to give him a shot? Because of right now, we've heard nothing. We've heard no one. Uh, originally, I wanted him to go to the Patriots because I felt that was the best opportunity for him. But there's no way we can see him and Bill Belichick meshing. No, him and that would just be a Bill, Bill Belichick is all about fundamentally sound, being fundamentally sound. That's well, where the Popovich comparison. He's comes not big through. on his own guys having like their own real voice. That too, very un- even keel under wraps. You know, and I think I think this I think this offseason Cam's the opposite of that would be going much differently if they could do physicals because of everything that's yeah. going on right now. I think that's 
definitely stalled. So I don't believe that there's no market for him. For him and in James. fact, I think that there's probably yeah, and Jameis is another one yeah. of those where I think Jameis is on the on his side is more of the turnover scare. and the vision thing too. Yes, we don't know. What now his that's eyes been are like. well, yeah. that's been supposedly fixed with I think LASIK or whatever it was he did. Yeah, Jameis is a different breed because he's so freaking talented. He's so good at football. He really is. He just makes horrific decisions oh, and he tallies yeah. up the turnovers. He can if he can literally cut his turnovers in half. This dude is a franchise hey, star. Anybody who throws thirty touchdowns in the league is with, with Cam Newton. It's different because teams are now just going. We already know this guy's really good at football. Mm. He's a freak athlete, one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen at the quarterback position. Right. He has been an MVP in this league. He's still got football left. What they need to know is. Does his health check out? Does his ankle and shoulder check out? If well, they do, I guarantee you Cam Newton's going to have a starting position. And his position attitude has got to have to come into play too because, I mean, we saw the, the fallout with the Panthers, regardless of who's, which side you take or if you don't take a side at all. We saw it, you know, the stink faces and, and, and the, the social media stuff and the, 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 the cryptic tweets and all the stuff, you know, like not a lot of teams that are wanting to, to change their color, change their stars. And, and move into the winning column. A lot of teams that you we're talking about, they're like the Denver Broncos and the Chargers and, and the Bills that are trying to be winning organizations. I don't know if we'll, a lot of them are going to want to take on the possible headache that Cam could be. And I love Cam. I love him as a, even as I like his competitive nature. I, I've always loved guys like him and Des Bryant and Maldi guys that, especially the quarterback position, you want that because it's a good form of leadership, but it just depends on the flow of the head coach, the organization, because not everybody can deal with that. Because I couldn't see him like being in Kansas City. There's no way he'd be a Kansas City guy. Right. Well, the, the thing, the thing about it though is that I remember the language and the narrative before the coronavirus became a big thing in, in America. Yeah. How everyone's like, oh, he needs to go to Chicago. Oh, he needs to try this Chicago place. He needs to go here. Great. He needs to go there. Like There yeah. was all these pairings that I was hearing of Cam Newton. Yeah. It was really starting to fire up, and then all of a sudden this all started to take shape in early March. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's, well, we don't know what his – you know, has he checked out? Is yeah. his medicals cleared? There's a lot yeah. of questions. It's I bad think that, timing, man. to me, honest, dude, I, I'm going to be real with you. I understand the attitude and things of that nature do play a factor, but when you're as talented as Cam Newton is, I think a lot of teams will overlook that because this is a league where guys get fired all the time. Mm-hmm. Coaches know if you plug in a guy like Cam Newton, they could save your, they could save your, your, your career in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So, if he's healthy enough, I do believe that the Chargers would look at his way because they have a new stadium that they're sharing now with the Rams. They have to sell season tickets. Mm. You can't tell me they didn't go full-fledged after Tom Brady for those very reasons. They didn't yeah. get Tom. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, we got to get a star quarterback. You bring Cam Newton to L.A., people are buying well, yeah. season tickets. And the coaching staff is talking about the reason they got to Rod Taylor is because the, the coaching staff was talking about how they want to move the pocket, and they weren't able to do that. Uh, uh, with Philip Rivers with his in, his immobile body, you know they weren't able to move the pocket and open up the offense and, and extend plays because Philip Rivers had no legs. Yeah. So Cam Newton obviously would about be ideal for that kind of offense. It's just whether or not he can make the throws and whether or not his health is there, which I do think it is. I do think he'll have a job, but you're confident in him getting a starting I, job. I am. I'm not sure about. That. I am, but it's to your point as yeah. to why because of the fact that you, what everything you stated was true in the fact that. He's such a a polarizing figure of sorts yeah. that you can't have a guy like that just sitting on your bench. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a coach, I'm bringing him in just and, for the just for the fact of the 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 clout that would come with him. Well, and and the fact is that guys like Nick Foles and Joe Flacco and Kyle Allen are having they get starting gigs yeah. or starting opportunities. If you're telling me those guys are good enough to have those jobs, Cam Newton absolutely well, we're is. We're not. We're not saying and that. Eighty percent. I know, but Ron Rivera saying that. Eighty <laughs> percent. Cam yeah. Newton is better than a hundred percent of Terod Taylor, and. Sure. For sure. And the fact, again, that star power sells in the NFL, yeah, especially. Like LA would be the spot. LA for him to do that. is the spot. And Denver, dude, I'm telling you, you put him in Denver 
with a team that is really trying to build a nucleus again. They're trying to rebuild that nucleus. And that defense is already be really good. Yeah. That's a really good defense. You're talking about opportunities in, in the AFC West. I understand that the juggernaut of Mahomes hmm. in Kansas City is going to outweigh a lot of things. Yeah. But if you know that you can get a starting position with a team like the Chargers, again, has one of the better rosters in football, yes. you're not passing that up. And I truly believe if they get an opportunity to get a healthy Cam Newton, I think we're going to see him in L.A. Yeah, I think that's a, that would be ideal for him. And if I wanted to see him win, that would be the spot to go to. There or Denver. Uh, but obviously, the Chargers have the better offensive weapons than Denver, but Denver's got that. But I mean, the Chargers' defense isn't much, might be even better than Denver's. Who knows? They got great I talent. I think it absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, they're stacked everywhere. And that would, and I, I think they're going to be, uh, they're going to be challenging the Chiefs for that top spot, even though I think we win, obviously. But Cam, obviously, I mean, we don't know where he's going to end up, but I, I definitely think he'll have a job. I just don't know if he's going to get a starting job, at least not right away. I definitely can see him going into a team and, and, and working his way maybe a couple weeks into a season. But you don't bring Cam in and not start him. So I don't I don't know, man. This is it's a like you said with this coronavirus and this pandemic situation, it makes everything worse for him and Jameis because they're not able to go showcase their talents and see their you know have teams see their improvements. So uh, we're left in the dark on a lot of this, man. And I hope the best for Cam. I hope he does get his starting job because he's good for football, man. He's good for TV. He's fun to watch. Uh, it sucks that he's not going to be in a Panthers uniform anymore because he was really fun to watch over there. And I, and I felt him and McCaffrey were could have possibly built something good over there because that guy is incredible himself. Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I hope the best for him. Well, now, now Carolina's got Teddy checked down, so that's going to be – that could, that could work out really well, though. It's going to be interesting to see when they got guys running twenty-yard slants wide open, and Teddy's <laughs> taking the negative three-yard. Well, my biggest thing is, I like Teddy, but let's be real. He's not a franchise too. quarterback. He's not. He's not promised to be healthy all year either. Well, and, and we're going to leave it there, guys. If you think there's a team out there that that fits Cam Newton or that can, that you think Cam Newton's going to end up at, or Jameis, yeah. drop it in there. Yeah, let us know what you guys think of that for sure. Let us know, and Jameis Winston as well. I definitely think Jameis is going to be a backup somewhere. Yeah, I, I think uh, the Rams would honestly be a great spot for Jameis Winston. I think I think the best spot for Jameis Winston is Pittsburgh. Yep. I, being, getting behind a 38-year-old Ben Roethlisberger, succeeding him. Similar James type, is only similar, similar type player, too. Yeah, James is, only, Jam- yeah. <laughs> James is only 26 years old. Yeah. Six foot four, 250-pound quarterback with a gun. Yep. I definitely think this guy could definitely get a job in Pittsburgh or even, like I said, in, with the L.A. Rams. You I never agree. know what could happen. I think he's going to be a backup, though, for the next season. But with Cam, I definitely think he'd be a, a starting quarterback in 2020. It's just a matter of where he's going to land and where he's going to end up getting that spot. So we'll leave it there. Like I said, let us know what you guys think, where you guys think Cam Newton's in. Cam, Cam Newton ends up. But now we're going to move ourselves to the Monday Mailbag. Visit Local Foundry in downtown Lee Summit, Eastern Jackson County's biggest selection of local made and inspired goods. They carry apparel, jewelry, prints, decor, and more. The store is also filled with various vintage finds. Come and see us on Market Street. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. It is time for the Monday Mailbag. We do this every single week as we've done since, I think... Damn, it's been at least three or four months now we've been doing yeah. this, and it's been an absolute blast. We love having you guys on, um, giving you the platform, the opportunity to really essentially just take over an entire segment and give us the talking points and, and, and make us discuss what it is you guys are ultimately interested in, what you guys want to touch on. So thank you so much for everybody that has been uh, participating in that, and let's move right into it this week. Trevor, let's start off the Monday Mailbag. 
All right, Monday mailbag. First question goes to or comes from Casey Dillon. Uh, thanks for the question, buddy. Um, this question is: hate to talk, hate to talk about this coronavirus potentially putting the NFL season on halt or no season at all. Would you be open to having all games played at the ESPN Sports Complex on the 17 fields at Disney World in Orlando, Florida, if the NFL had two? Had to or had to or would you rather them suspend the whole season if they do host all the games at Disney ESPN Resort? However, should I buy some fucking Disney stocks? Question mark. LOL. You know what? I, I laugh at the comment, but the way you set it up sometimes, yeah. man, like you just so nonchalant. The fucking yeah. It's like <laughs> although he 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 spells the fucking with the F U and a capital K C. Ah, yeah, he had he had to get so that had local flavor. I had to emphasize I, it for my guy Casey Dillon. Well man. done, Casey Dillon. I, yeah. I, we appreciate that. We appreciate all the support as well. Um, the book and in no way, shape, or form. Look, look, we're not scientists here. We're not you know well, we're not we're not Fauci. You know, from the CDC. Yeah. yeah, we're we're you know friend of the show, Fauci. But <laughs> yeah, CDC and. and, and, and <laughs> In no way, shape, or form am I of the of the support that if they can get the season in, that they should you know cancel it all out. Yeah. If there's a way for them to do it, like I think we're I think we're reaching too far out right now with the NFL side of things because that's six months away. We don't even know where things are going to be in a week, so it, it's really tough for me to really touch on this subject when yeah. football is still so far away as far as actual games. Yeah. But if let's say in under that scenario, things things have not gotten better. And we're kind of in the same place. If there is an option for them to play in said designated location, then obviously I'm in support of that. As long as, and this is the key, as long as there isn't a risk for more outbreaks because of it. It's the same thing with the NBA right now. The NBA, it's looking very doom and gloom right now for this season, simply because the fact, as Brian Winhorst came on uh, ESPN today and talked about, is that the owners have been so optimistic with the way things are going with China and the way they've been lying about stuff and the way that you know they've had re-outbreaks in certain instances because of asymptomatic people that don't have any symptoms at all right. uh, re-spreading this, this virus. That's the risk that the NFL just simply cannot take on because then you're also talking about legal action. So if they can do it in an efficient and clean way, then obviously, yes, I'm in, I'm on board with that. But there might be some circumstances that are out of our control. We are seeing that right now with no sports at all. Um, that's not our choice, obviously. That's not something we want to endure. But if that's what the NFL ends up coming to, Guys, we're gonna have to make the choice that saves lives. That's what it comes down to, right? Yeah, and the betterment of the players that we love and enjoy to watch. Um, if if the question is, which the question is, would I be open to that? If that's the only possibility, and if we're able to still consume the sport that we love, and if that means giving up our going to the Chiefs, you know, going to Arrowhead to watch Mahomes play in person, which would suck to give that up. But if I, as a diehard fan of the sport, I would pick being able to watch the games period yeah over and now it's sacrificed being able to go to games and fans you know and Mahomes playing in front of the beloved fans and and every other fan base obviously being able to go to their games if it meant that being the the only option for us to actually watch NFL games and, and in a safe manner and all the players are safe and and, and and out of reach of that virus so on yeah selfishly as a fan of the game yes I'm all for it I, I don't want I don't want to 
miss out in on any of the game, any of the games, any of the season at all. I'm the, I'm the guy that's at home watching the Chiefs game, and I have on my computer with the red zone. Lance knows every Sunday if I if we're home watching the games, if we're not at the game, I don't complain. Yeah, I mean, I have the red zone going on, so I like to keep an eye on all the games that are going on. Plus, I'm a big fantasy guy, so that would the games being played means a lot to me. Uh, so yes, I would definitely take any option that's available to play the games in the safest manner possibly. Um, so thank you for the question, Casey. Yeah, appreciate Dylan. it, brother. Um, next question comes from none other than Donnie Couch. Uh, he's a weekly guy. Our guy. Appreciate you, man. He says, uh, hey, guys, got I got two questions. On Arrowhead Pride, they talked about the Chiefs just saying fuck it and make room to sign Jadavion Clowney on a one-year deal because of his lack of market. If we were to sign him, uh, are we automatically the favorite to win it all? And how good is our defense, our defensive line in that scenario? First, first of all, I, I don't think there's any real scenario of Jadavian Clowney in Kansas City, right? Um, and I, don't, I also don't believe the acquisition of Jadavian Clowney would make the Chiefs any more of a favorite as if they already are. I believe they're already the Vegas favorites of the what is it six to one odds right mm-hmm. now? Yeah, I, I don't think he swings it either way. I don't think Jadavian Clowney makes the Chiefs four to one favorites. I, yeah. He's not a, a franchise changing player, and he never has been. Uh, I think the most sacks he's ever had in a season is ten. I could be mistaken, but he's not a he's not a great player. Jadavian came in the league with high expectations because of one massive play he had in college. I believe it was against Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, and that was it. Like he's a hyped out player. He's yeah. he's a very he's a good player. He's in over his head on the market stuff. Yeah. I just don't buy into him. I've never really bought into Jadavian. Well, he's been played with injuries most of his career too. Right, right. and and now he's at the towards the end part of his twenties. I, I don't know if he's going to get better. And from what we're hearing from his agent, he went from requesting twenty million a year to seventeen to eighteen. Basically, not changing at all. Um, I I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think I would want it to happen, quite frankly. And even if it did. I don't think he makes this team that much better. Yeah. If we were going to say fuck it and, and, and go all in and sign someone, I'd, I'd say fuck it and sign Chris Jones and, and extend him to a, a long-term That's kind of where I'm at. That makes a lot more sense because he's the better player, and we all know the impact he brings to this team already. And I don't know if Jadavion Clowney could even top that production. Quite frankly, I doubt that's even a possibility. So I appreciate the question. Thank you, Donnie. All right. And then uh, next question, we're going to go with our guy, uh, one of the GOATs, Shaggy Shane. Yes, sir. Um, friend of the show. Big time friend of the show. Big time friend of the show. Uh, big time contributor as much well. Much love, much love. Uh, Shane says, growing up as a kid, who was your favorite obscure Chiefs player? By obscure, I mean a player that nobody knew anything about because their play on the field rarely warranted any attention. And why? Mine was linebacker Tim Cofield. He also he always played hard and with a lot of grit and determination, but he lacked skills to stay long term. <laughs> Putting you on the spot, obscure I mean, player, obscure. Like, I'm not sure. Who I, would. I I think growing up, like young, young, like my young age, there's there's a couple actually. So I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a couple answers. Uh, one of the first was uh, Tameric Vanover. Hmm. I, I I know that he made some exciting plays, so maybe he doesn't qualify. But he was it was such a short lived uh, uh, career that he had in Kansas City, and he only like did pretty much kick returns and punt returns, I believe. And it was just fun. I just loved seeing number eighty-seven. This he was—he was kind of a bigger guy, actually. He wasn't mm-hmm. small, and but he was so quick, and he had these long strides. And I didn't know anything about him other than when he got in trouble. Mm-hmm. Like before that, I never really knew anything about him. Um, another one is Eric Hicks, super strong guy. He's, I think he still lives in Kansas City and does some coaching and things of that nature. 
Um, but he was just, he was such a private guy and never was great. He was solid, but he was never great. And I remember when ESPN 2K5 came out, for some reason he was a badass on that game. Mm-hmm. He had a sweet spin move off the line. I don't know why I just fell in love with Eric Hicks. Um, and this is going to be a random one because he was not good at football, but his name was the baddest, man. It was the coolest name ever. Savvy Piscatelli, guys. Yeah. Savvy Piscatelli. Imagine growing up with your name Savvy. And your last name Piscatelli. Like you just sound like a badass. You just sound like somebody owes you 20 bucks. You know what I mean? And then you're about to club them Nancy Kerrigan style. It's just yeah. amazing. So those are, I would say, off the top rope, that's probably the three that I will give you. Mm. I'm sure after the show, I'm gonna think about a couple and then I'm gonna end up texting Shane them. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, it, it, those are those would be the three off the top because I honestly did not read that question until right yeah, now. Or we didn't hear that question. So that, that's just right off the cuff, man. So who, yeah, who um, this isn't gonna be a guy that I watched growing up. This is a guy that I've watched pretty much grow up himself in the league Um, and being a cheese fan only cheese fans i really think know this guy Uh, he's obviously not a guy that warrants a lot of uh, national attention but he's obviously he's pretty much a fan favorite when it comes to being in kc but the when shane brings up you know guys like tim cofield uh and i think a guy in a similar position to to that is a little more well known than probably tim cofield was at the time but i like i said this wasn't a guy i grew up watching this is a guy i've watched as of late but when when shane uses the words um playing with a lot of grit and determination. I think a Dan, dirty Dan Sorensen. Obviously he's not a, a big name guy. You never hear him talked about on, on national you know, media or TV. He never gets on the TV shows to talk about, but he makes some of the biggest plays. Yeah. Even in that, that Texans game where he stopped that, that, that fake, that, that fake punt. Um, you know, he, he's that, he, he's the, he is the epitome to me of grit and determination. Yeah. He's the guy that he's the, he's the coach's favorite kind of guy. He's the guy that'll get in there and do all the dirty work. Hence the name dirty Dan. Um, I, but like I said, I know this doesn't really coincide entirely with the question cause I didn't grow up watching him, but that's the kind of guy mm-hmm. when I read those words that triggered me because that's what he Im- embodies is that grit and determination. What, one more. I, I just realized I'm so glad I got to think about this now. I'm like super, super excited about this one. Kavika Mitchell. Oh yeah, Kavika Mitchell, man. Like yeah. he, I don't know if he was good at football or not good at football. He was just <laughs> yeah. Fun. You loved him and hated him at times. I remember. I remember. Um, it, it was a game against the Bills. I think it was a Monday Night Football game against the Bills in like I want to say oh six, and he had this pick six at the end of the game, and the Chiefs were just beating the shit out of the Bills. Yeah, and I remember it was like I was at Grandpa's house. And we, I was like half asleep. The game was already over, so everybody starts going to bed. And I remember this pick six, and I'm like, I stand up and I'm like cheering, but I'm not cheering because I don't want to be loud because Grandpa would come in and you know Grandpa with his whistle and the mustache and all that stuff <laughs> would just scare the shit out of you. Yeah. But I just remembered like him getting this pick six and how cool it was because like this was some guy that wasn't a star player. It was just fun to like see Kavika Mitchell have this awesome moment and. That was uh, that was another guy for sure. I'm sure I'm going to keep going yeah, on, but no. that's yeah. a great question, Shaggy. I appreciate that yeah, one. That's, that's, a, a, that's a fun one, man. That's for a good sure. one for sure. Uh, thank you for the question, Shaggy. Uh, next question comes again. Uh, question number two from Donnie. Um, I guess he had some more in the tank. There you go. Uh, Empty it. He said, "Last question I have is the minority is the minority of Chiefs fans that genuinely that genuinely hate Frank Clark and think he was going he was being a wuss for complaining about having a pinched nerve. I understand it's." their opinion, but I don't get it. So he says, the question he has is the, is the minority of chiefs fans that genuinely hate Frank Clark and think he was being a wuss for complaining about having a pinch nerve. So I guess he's asking, is that, was that the over, was that the minority opinion or was that the, 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 the popular opinion? Um, I guess that's what he's trying to say. That's it. I mean, that's a pretty fair question. I would say, uh, I remember after the Texans game, 
I I was shitting all over Frank Clark on Twitter. I said that the only the only color that Frank Clark had on his jersey was green from getting ran over and grass stained on uh, Deshaun Watson's touchdown. Um, because of the fact that he just absolutely got pulverized in that play, and that was the ultimate game deciding play, I would say. And that was a very frustrating game for sure. Yeah, um, that was a dark time. I think a lot of people were turning on Frank Clark just because of the trade value and the and the hundred what hundred ten hundred sixteen million dollar contract he got. Right. You know, there was a lot on that, and we knew what this season meant. And for Frank Clark to come in not playing good football at all for the first six, seven weeks, I would say. I think it was the Broncos game in Denver that he really started to turn it around. But that was also when he started getting healthy. When they were, we, we had found out about some health issues that we didn't know about. Mm. Frank had the neck injury. He had a lot of things going on. He couldn't feel his fingers. Right. There was a lot of shit well, going his on. doctors were telling him not to play. Yeah, yeah. He was going against yeah uh, medical protocol, things of that nature. So I, I think that it, there was a large group of Chiefs fans that were starting to grow and it was starting to really fester as far yeah. as this. Because, as I said in last week's show, when Chiefs fans start to love a player, they they tend to love them forever. Um, Frank didn't really earn that yet. It was very fresh in his in his Chiefs tenure that these things were starting to happen. The Chiefs went on a losing streak, and they weren't supposed to be losing games, especially right. at home the way that they were. Back-to-back well, home games. Well, the defense wasn't and becoming what we thought it was going to be either. Right. So, yeah, th- I think there was a growing – sense of this i don't think though that it was the majority i definitely think it was the minority of fans that were that were clamoring and i was i admit i was definitely a part of that i was growing impatient but i never got off of him because i understood and i knew who who he was already as a player because we saw him dominate in in seattle granted he had a better supporting cast at the time but i i know who frank clark is and i know what he's about and he's about that action and i know we saw once he started getting the groove and everyone everyone started clicking we saw the real Frank Clark, especially in the postseason when it mattered the most. He was making some of the biggest plays. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I have I give nothing but respect to him for 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 battling through that, and I'm super excited to see what he's capable of next year when he's fully healthy and recovered yeah. from all that. Uh, for him to battle through that is a uh, he he gained so much respect in my book, and I already loved the guy coming in. I wanted him, and I was stoked on life when we got him. So yeah, that's definitely I think that's definitely the minority take, and it's just. Uh, it was just too easy to jump on on that because he was obviously dealing with nagging injuries and people didn't want to buy it because they were everyone was buying into him just getting paid and, and you know and resting on his laurels but that wasn't the case obviously he proved that so um, looking forward to next year and seeing his production uh, go up from there uh, thank you for the question Donnie yeah for sure brother um, last question comes from our guy but real quick before before I'm assuming this isn't from Donnie this it's next not. question okay no. I, I I have a question for Donnie okay. And so, Donnie, when you hear this, because I know you're going to listen to the show or maybe watch it on our YouTube channel. Donnie. 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 <laughs> are people still stealing Donnie. or taking toothpaste at a high level, Donnie? <laughs> you, you can't drop a question like you did on last week's episode yeah. about can we all stop taking all the toothpaste. Gotta protect that Ta- Donnie, you got to give me an update here, brother. Yeah. You got to let me know. Are people still taking the do- the toothpaste at a yeah. high level? This is important. The we, we did our part. We did our part, man. We, we told the people to stop. Yeah. Out, of, out of respect for our guy. So, Donnie, you, you, you're obligated now. you got to give us weekly updates on the toothpaste. So, there's your challenge, Donnie. We appreciate you. Who's the, what's the next fight question? Fight those stains and protect that enamel. All right? <laughs> this brought you, Donnie. you by Colgate. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last question from the mailbag. It comes from our guy, our producer, the one and only, Red Tribe Sound on his own, Clay Windler. Oh, it's the Swindler Windler. What's up, bro? The Wild West. Clay Windler. <laughs> Fast Throw it deep, son. <laughs> Clay says, 
How many bad Mahomes takes do you expect to watch in Rise of the Homes 3 this weekend? <laughs> I can't wait, dude. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to give – I'm not letting the cat out of the bag. I promise you, Clay. And you're producing this show after we're done. So you're going to hear this, and you may edit it out just out of spite. But <laughs> I'm expecting all the all the bad takes. My guy, Clay, I, I feel like I'm one of those guys that knows how to hold on to like cold takes and bad takes. Clay's it's t- it's times ten and maybe more. He's got, it, his archives are deep. He's got them. I mean, freezing cold takes. The Twitter Ugh. account of freezing cold takes took one of Clay's tweets yesterday yeah. of uh, Jason oh, yeah, Whitlock yeah. uh, of Colin Cowherd asking Jason Whitlock. Oh, Jason Whitlock. Jason has layups. Whitlock, do you think the Chiefs made a mistake of going no. of, of, of trading Alex Smith? Yes. No. Yes. If Whitlock already hasn't already blocked me on Twitter, he'd do it just for that. I, he's got rabbit ears, so I know he heard it. But Casey's own. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean. Yeah, Clay, I, I I guarantee you're going to hear no more, no less than 15 of them. That's just in the yeah. honor of Patrick. Mahomes. Can't wait, cannot wait. Shout out to Red Tribe Cinema. Shout man. out, shout it out. He's been sending out teasers all day, by the way. So if you haven't seen those, I don't know where the hell you guys have been at. We're all in quarantine anyway. You might as well just be watching Red Tribe as yep. it is. Watch, watch the throwbacks. Watch and share. Yeah, yeah. you know, our niece, my niece Scarlett is obsessed with the Red Tribe Cinema videos. I don't yep. know, it goes from seven year old to thirty two year old dudes. Man, I'm telling you. Enjoy the shit out of some Red Tribe Cinema right now, guys, because there's Absolutely. plenty of videos out there for you to enjoy. Without a doubt. Well, that does it. That does it for the uh, the Monday mailbag. Nice. So, thank you for everybody that contributed. As we always say every single week, it's we love doing this segment. If I could do three segments of this, if you guys wanted to continue to do this, where you ask a ton of questions, where you have to extend this, I'm cool with that because yeah. I enjoy this. I feel like this is a, a good way for us to connect here. And it's just, like I said, it's just an absolute great time, and we have a lot of fun doing this. So continue to contribute to the Monday Mailbag. We always appreciate it, guys. So we are going to go to our favorite segment of the week. And Trevor, what's it called again? OSL. I want you to do me a favor and hold this L. Somebody's got to hold that L. <laughs> the who? The her. I'm talking like caps lock L L L L L L L L L Cool J stuff. Hold that L. <laughs> Good God, man! Hold this gigantic, <gasps> veiny, pulsating oh L. Man, you are one pathetic loser. You ignorant man. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, hold Sorry. this L. segment of the week we love every single time we get to do this because i feel like this kind of brings our show all together because at the end of the day we're here to have fun and there is nothing more fun than to make fun of the ones in the world of sports and that's yes. what we're here to do we've given them to ourselves so we can't sit here and act like we're all high and mighty it's true we are I, we are very I, humble here <laughs> clearly yes. as you can hear it in our voices yes um i've i think i've gotten like five or six l's yes so i, I think i'm so. leading the pack right now for sure and it's deservingly so because i have some really shit takes yeah. so it's okay and they always come back to fire you know bite me right in the ass but uh trevor who is holding the l in this week of april 2020 for you in this slow week of l's not many worthy l's to be honest there's just not a lot going on um but I'm going to go with this one here. Um, a guy I actually like a lot uh, who I respect his opinions most of the time. Uh, TV analyst, sports analyst, 
Rick Buecher. Um, I, I think he's really good at his job, and I, I I think he's highly respected in his field. He's got a damn good forehead, too. Yeah. Let's just throw that out there. <laughs> I just think he's a really well, usually well-analyzed, well-spoken uh, guy and well-thought-out with most of his takes. But this one I had to – definitely had to disagree with him on. And, and, and uh, obviously it involves a discussion including LeBron James and his approach to the game. So he was on uh, Jason Woodlock's show, Speak for Yourself. Um, him, Marcellus Wiley, obviously, and Jason Woodlock. Um, and on Speak for Yourself, Woodlock asked him what was what was more important to LeBron James. Obviously, this is speculation, but they were having a discussion. What they all thought what was more important to LeBron James to either not finish the season or to play in front of no fans. And this was uh, Buker's response. If it'll play here, hold on. It's not finishing the season, so by default, it is a desire to play in front of fans. But the desire to play in front of fans is really a cover for, I don't want to play these playoffs when I know I'm going to be at a disadvantage. You're right. The age is a factor. And while we may look at him and say, man, he doesn't look 35, he knows he's 35, and he knows that he's calibrated things very carefully this season in order to not look 35. But the reality is two months off, having to start from zero, playing with one of the oldest teams in the league, he knows that their chances, he's now at a disadvantage in terms of being able to get this done. And he looks much better if there is no resumption of the season. And we just look at it and say, well, LeBron had the Lakers in first in the West. If it hadn't been interrupted, if it hadn't been end- if it hadn't ended, he very likely would have gotten the championship in Los Angeles, whether he ends up getting one down the road or not. So coming back, LeBron's always been very careful to make sure everything's skewed into his advantage. This is one situation. If we come back and play at his age with his team, he will not have that advantage. What 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 the what the fuck is Rick Buecher talking about? This is what I'm talking about. I, I, that was out of left field for me. I don't know if it's the quarantine getting to Rick Buecher's head. When the forehead and when in any time has LeBron James ever given off the vibe that he just didn't want to play the game of basketball? When did any time that was being the first seed in either the West or the East good enough for LeBron? We've seen LeBron accept the fact that he's not going to get the first seed and take the third seed and the, the lower seed East, uh, you know, Cavaliers teams to the finals, regardless of what seed he placed in. LeBron James is the fourth seed in twenty eighteen. This is what I'm saying. It, 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 you're gonna how? I mean, this is the this is the problem I have with, with this this criticism of LeBron James, as if he's not pride. He has no pride heading into the you know playing the game that he loves at at 35 years old right now. He you think he's just gonna want to throw away another season when he just had his first throwaway season last year due to injury? You think he's gonna want to have two of those in a row? No. And you're gonna logically try to make sense of that? as if that's actually what LeBron James wants. No. LeBron James knows that he's in L.A. LeBron James knows, regardless of what we think, me and Lance here as LeBron James fans, we don't feel that he has anything to prove to the Lakers, but the Lakers fans definitely feel, and I'm sure LeBron James has pressure to, that he feels that he needs to prove himself to these Laker fans because that is a winning franchise. And Kobe just passed away. Absolutely. And this, there's so much riding on this season for you to sit there as a paid analyst to talk about sports and an analyst that has defended LeBron many times and knows the game very well and is very well spoken. And I respect a lot, but for you to have that dumbass of a take and to truly believe and go on live television and say that you think LeBron would rather not finish the season 
rather than playing in front of no fans and finishing and, and trying his best to win a championship for a a a, a sobbing franchise and that has lost one of its brightest stars they ever had to 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 bring a new light to that and bring and and improve himself not 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 necessarily prove himself but to bring that winning mentality back to that franchise that's so thirsty for it right now that's an embarrassing take to go on live tv and say that with with all the respectability and credibility that rick buecher has i have to he has to do me a favor and uh Hold this L because that's some trash, man. I, I just I, I don't understand at this age and at this point of LeBron's career, you're really gonna they're talking about him as if like they don't truly know his personality yet, and that they, they think that they or no that that or that they know his personality too much to where they think they can speak on it with, without him actually being in the room. It's embarrassing. No, and and, and that ain't the first time Buker's had a, a horrible take over the last for couple sure. weeks. I heard him on Gottlieb when Gottlieb was covering for Colin Amy yeah, uh, Coward. Yeah. He, he was sitting there talking. They were sitting there talking about the same topic, but they both said that LeBron was speaking out of his ass um, <laughs> when it came to this whole situation about not playing in front of fans. But what they did, yeah. they didn't even listen to what LeBron was trying to say. Right. I'm not going to go into. Well, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to break it all down. I'm just yeah. letting everybody know that. I would recommend everybody listen to it and then listen to their response to it. It was it was pretty embarrassing because yeah. these guys are paid to do this job, and I felt like two guys that just watch sports and love to talk about it and don't get paid to do it necessarily uh, actually heard the words for what they really were and what LeBron was trying to say in the podcast with uh, Channing Fry and, uh, and how many times Richard Jefferson. How many times do we got to hear the old age thing with LeBron? Well, I mean, how many we've times? been hearing that for five years I mean, now. Everyone's talked about, oh, his, 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 you know, the wear and tear on his legs. You know, he's had too much tread on the yeah. tires. And every time the postseason comes around, what happens? Yeah. LeBron puts up godly numbers. Yep, yep. It's, 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 it's like, it, when are we going to learn? Like, how many? It's just so nauseating to keep hearing. I, I will tell you this takes, one man. thing, though. Rick Bucher would win an absolute. He'd win first place in a headbutting contest. Him and Peyton Manning going. Boy, you know, can you imagine that? <laughs> like. Those somebody needs to make a video of two like, downhill you know, boulders. Just you know those right goats that head yeah. up people, oh, <laughs> dub their heads on there and just have. <laughs> I, I would like to watch oh, that man. actually. Since we're in Clay, Clay, get on it. Maybe we can sanitize their foreheads <laughs> and then they can just headbutt each other. They'll save the universe. Yeah, I mean, maybe that would be that would end what we're. Uh, I don't Jesus know. Christ, I'm gonna I'm gonna look. <laughs> I, it's funny we're talking about reporters and people and and this and that side of sports because that's actually where mine's at as well. Um, I remember a few months ago on 610 Sports, they had uh, John John Clayton, a very respected uh, reporter uh, for ESPN for yeah. many, many years. John Clayton, who I've respected many years. Yeah, yeah. Um, he came on the show, uh, the afternoon show, and the question was asked uh, as to whether he would he, he thinks that Frank Clark or Jadavian Clowney is the superior player. And it was right after the Chiefs, I believe it was right after the Chiefs, uh, had either traded for Frank Clark or it was after the first game or two of the season. And John Clayton was so adamant. And I wish I had because I was trying to find the the actual uh, podcast uh, archived. I was trying to find that clip, but I could not find it. And so I, you're going to have to just take my word for it because this, yeah. this is what I, it I, I listened to. You could, I'm sure you could find it. You guys are probably better at searching for it than me. But he was adamant that Jadavian Clowney was the superior player between him and Frank Clark. Mm. Now at that time, I, I didn't I didn't agree, but at that time it, it, it almost sounded like it made a little more sense just because of Frank Clark being unproven in Kansas City at that point. But then now we're seeing where we're at now in in, in April. Frank Clark helped dramatically helped the Chiefs dramatically win a Super Bowl. Uh, was huge in the playoffs. Was huge in the final half end of the season. Um, and earned his stripes, earned his money, earned everything he was given 
from the Kansas City Chiefs. Now he's been on Colin Cowherd's show uh, talking about his relationship with Andy Reid and how much he loves being here in Kansas City. All the great things have been happening to Frank Clark, and he's earned every single bit of it, like I just said, like I just stated. Meanwhile, our guy Jadavian Clowney, as we had talked in the in the Monday mailbag, can't find a job right now mm. and is overvaluing himself. Still thinks of himself highly, which is nothing wrong with that. I mean, someone's got to. You might as well be you. But he's not He's not employed. Yes, he is the top free agent right now in the NFL, besides probably Cam Newton, maybe Jameis Winston. But the fact that we're in April right now, the draft is a little over two weeks away, and he doesn't have a job. 27 years old. And John Clayton was sitting here trying to tell me that he's better than the guy who was a significant asset to the Chiefs winning their first Super Bowl in five decades. Mm-hmm. John Clayton, thank you for all your work. Thank you for everything you do, because you do work your ass off. You do an incredible job, for the most part. But that was a terrible take. And because of that, because if I was the one making that take, I'd be giving an L to myself, and I would have my sixth. I'd be like MJ over here with six L's, (laughs) except he had W's, but you get the point. So John Clayton, do me a freaking favor, my guy, and hold hold this this L. L. I really appreciate that. Really, really Seattle appreciate Homer. That. Probably true. He and is. he's probably going to take the Whitlock route and block me as well. But it's okay. <laughs> I, I respect it. So in in totality of tonight's episode, um, it was fun as always, like I say. Um, this was a show, though, that I really wanted to dedicate because there's there are a lot of you out there that are in your 40s, 50s, and 60s. Like I said, they got to watch all of Derek Thomas's career and got to enjoy him as an adult and really just get, get to absorb what the dominance was in number 58. And um, I truly don't believe we're ever going to see anything like him again in Kansas City. Uh, he was an, an unprecedented, unique player, and he's one of the greatest to ever do it in the NFL, let alone in Kansas City. Yep. And we had ourselves a true gem. So for those that got to witness Derek Thomas play at his peak and the peak of his powers, that was something that you should not take lightly. We all have those guys in our lives, in our generations that we get to watch. We get to watch. We Trevor and I have watched LeBron James's entire career. We didn't get to watch all of uh, Michael Jordan's career. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to see all of Mike Tyson's boxing career. I didn't get to watch any of Muhammad Ali's boxing career. There are so many athletes that I can say I didn't get to watch much of their career or any of their career, and I really wish I could have. But I was lucky enough to see, you know, like I said, LeBron James and Peyton Manning and now Patrick Mahomes and guys like that. I can go down the list of guys I'm lucky enough to be alive to watch. All of you out there that are 10, 15 years older than us, you got to watch Derek Thomas. And that was a true pleasure and a true honor. And tonight we wanted to honor him. We wanted to show our respects because he meant a lot to this fan base. He meant a lot to this organization. And no matter what happens in the future, no matter how many Super Bowls Patrick Mahomes brings us to, yes, Patrick Mahomes will be more at the forefront and will forever be the name that you remember when it comes to Chiefs. You always think of that one player when you think of the Bills. You think of Jim Kelly. When you think of the Patriots, you think of Tom Brady or Cameras. Um, or you think of uh, uh, the Jets. You think of Joe Namath. You know, he goes down the list. When you think of the Chiefs, you're going to think of Patrick Mahomes just because of the position and how great he is. But if you know any Chiefs fan, that knows their history, that understands the dynamics of what it takes to be a great player, you will know the name Derek Thomas. So for episode 58, we honored Derek Thomas and his memory, his legacy. We were lucky enough to watch some of his career, but not all of it. And I will take that and I will be grateful for it because, like I said, he was truly one of a kind. And we thank you all for being a part of episode 58. And we look forward to you being a part of episode 59 and therefore 
as we continue to grow and as we continue to take this show further. So in that, for Trevor Twidwell, for Eddie Ortiz, who's yet again not here, but I promise you he will return. We don't have him in a freezer somewhere. <laughs> he will return. For Gat, for Clay Windler, for Shaggy Shane helping us with the beginning of the video tonight, for all of you guys in the Monday Mailbag, we truly do appreciate you. I am Lance Twidwell, signing off for Episode 58 of the Spoken Podcast. We out of this bitch. Later. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to the Spoke. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit. If you're completing a degree in community college and want to take the next step to a four-year degree, or you're not satisfied with the college you're currently attending, we want to see you at College of St. Mary in Omaha. We make it easy to transfer your credits and have financial aid and scholarships available. Plus, we cover the costs of your textbooks for the first semester. Get the support you need to finish your degree faster. Make the transfer to College of St. Mary. Apply today at csm.edu. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.